Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. There are two wolves, and they are always fighting. One is darkness and despair. The other is light and hope. Which wolf wins? Whichever one you podcast. Uh, what is what's the word? Feed. You don't remember that iconic exchange that is shoehorned in and then called back three times in the last 20 minutes? Wow. Of Tomorrowland. Uh, I, I got to say, it's a movie with a lot of those kinds of lines, though. Yeah. With like, let yeah. me ask you a question. Yeah. <laughs> like, there was an idea. <laughs> oh, my God. White Nick Fury just walked in here. Uh, hello, everybody. My name's Griffin Newman. I'm David Sims. Welcome to Blank Check with Griffin and David. Woo! We are hashtag the two friends. It's a competitive advantage because we are the only two podcasts who had a strong enough vision of the future. The only two podcasts? Podcasters. <laughs> right. Who had a vision of the future saying, what if podcasters were friends? <laughs> What if there was a podcast? If you fed the podcast? I don't know. Yeah. I need to warm up. Yeah, come on, yeah. come on. We're recording from an alternate dimension right now, yeah. so the tachyons might be reaching you weird. I'm drinking my raspberry coffee. You still drink that shit? Pow. Oh my God, you're going like to grow a tentacle. Can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, this is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David, where hashtag the two friends are conscious of context. Mm-hmm. And this is a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their career and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear. True. And sometimes they oh. bounce all into the way an into an alternate dimension. A field of wheat, baby. <laughs> sometimes they walk through a field of wheat and suddenly fall down. Yeah. Um, this, of course, is a miniseries on the films of Bradley Bird. Yes. This might be his last live action film. I don't think so. Nah. He's coming back. You yeah, can't keep this guy down. No. How chill do you think Bird is? He uh, seems like a chill yeah, dude. Yeah, you know how there's like the Kinsey scale for like sexuality? Well, like sure. the Bird scale for like chillness, you know? <laughs> He's like zero. I do love that when you watch like behind the scenes stuff, he like always it like comes off very folksy. He's like, right. I just want to make a film about... Believing again. And, and the people are like, Brad, you're intense. He's like, yep, I am. And he's from <laughs> Montana. Right. We talked yeah. about it. You know, like, so he, yeah, he, ha- and he's, you know, he's a milky skinned man with, yeah. with red hair. Yeah. And uh, he says a lot of things that sort of sound like maxims. Like yes. when he gives his Oscar speech where he's like, you know, I just like right. believed in my, you know, and right. He, he feels like, like he's fucking Andy Griffith. But right. then, you know, like once the door is closed. But he also doesn't hide how intense he is. No, he doesn't hide how intense he is at all. And he's very happy to rant about the things he cares about. Right. I think the Clooney character in this is like he's looking at himself and, you know, picking out like a bad version of himself, like a depressed version of Agreed. himself. Yeah. But we'll get to that. Yeah. Main series is called The Podcastables. Oh, right. We haven't even said what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And today we're talking about Tomorrowland. Cool. The big bounce. Um, this is the definition of a blank check bouncing, right? Like, yeah. And I mean, this is one of those in movies. In every possible sense. This is one of those movies that came out after we started this show. That's true. Not long after. Not long after where and we were was, like. And it was on our Blankies episode. You gave right. Rafi Cassidy a. I did a Best yeah. Supporting Actress, which I don't know if I totally stand behind. 
I think she's very good. I, I do don't too. Know if I totally I do too. I'd have to look at that year again. Right, right. Uh, I don't. I don't think the performance is bad now. No, I know, I know. Um, but uh, th- this was one of those movies where we were like, oh, "Fuck, we should do Brad Bird someday." Yes, absolutely. It came out while we were recording something else. And we Star were like, Wars, I would imagine. Yeah, we were like, fuck, we got to do this. Yeah, yeah it was it's during the kind Star of Wars like days. Jupiter Ascending, which was that yeah. same year. Right. And um, Another one that we'll be talking about soon that came out while we had already done the podcast. Wink, 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 wink. Oh, Next miniseries. Yes. A movie yes. that's very blank checky. Yes. Wink, 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 wink. But it's always <laughs> nice when we can do, we can finally talk about these movies that we've been waiting a couple years to do, you know? Yeah. Like, we've been here, we've had the show, we've had the platform, and we've just been waiting for the right time to discuss that entire... You want to turn your phone off, or I just do you want did. it to loudly ding? I just did. Who texted you? That should be hey, the rule. At least he's consistent. At least I'm consistent. Yes. Uh, that should be the rule, though, right? Yeah. Um, if you get a text, you should have to read it aloud. Okay. You want the text? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Regardless, Henson, let's not blow Henson. I don't think you know how invested I am in him, and I'd really like to share that. J.D. Motto? <laughs> I won't tell. <laughs> Here's the rule. I don't have to say who it's from. I All have right. to read the content. But what if I guess right? Then I would tell you. Okay. Not J.D. Okay. What a twist. Wow. What okay. a white cheddar bagel twist. Sure. Twisted. I should mention that uh, I am, uh, this is a twisted episode because I did. Eat a white cheddar bagel twist. That's right. We twisted it up. Yeah. Um, so, the year is 2011. Okay. Oh, that's when this... Really? Yes. Okay. Damon Lindelof is having meetings with Disney. Damon Lind. I remember that when... He's Lost, the creator of Lost. Right. When Lost was running, everyone was like, why don't they get this guy to write the movies? <laughs> <laughs> sure. In the same way that like people make that like, why don't they have the guys who cut the trailers cut the entire film? I guess no. I think that's not fair. Lindelof. I'm being. I'm making writer. a joke. I'm making a joke. But okay. it was like Lost was so exciting when it was on. It was so exciting on a week to week basis that it was like this guy should write all the fucking temples. Um, he knows how to do it. Well, all right, and also you know Abrams yeah. sort of in general was kind of like had like merged over to the film world. Right. And Lindelof worked with him very closely on Star Trek, which right. was, quote unquote, written by Orchie and Kurtzman. And mm-hmm. then there was a writer's strike. Yes. And then Damon Lindelof is a, quote unquote, producer on the film. Right. And is on the director's commentary talking about the plotting of the film. I wonder what happened there. Hmm. No, the film was shot during a writer's strike, so it's not like Orchie and Kurtzman could have been on board. Hmm. Did Lindelof have any? Anyway. Do you know what's the weirdest writer strike example that I always think of? Yeah. There was like an entertainment weekly piece about like how productions were running during the writer strike. Uh, Adam McKay on Step Brothers, because he was the writer of the film, in addition to being the director, right. sure. couldn't suggest improvs. Right. That's weird. Which his whole style is yelling out like, what if you did a take that no, was like this? Of course, that's like the style. Just keep the camera running. But that right. would constitute writing. So he had to like reverse like psychology them into it. Maybe that's an approach you should try more because Step Brothers ruled. And yeah. I don't mean to imply that Lindelof like broke rank with the union. I have yeah. no idea. No. I just Who anyway. Knows? Who knows? I think he had a major hand in Star Trek. Um so people but it, but are like, also, oh if if someone oh. is not if they're producing they're not right. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? We can't report on this. But in two thousand ten, Lost is over. Right. Lost ends then. People hate the finale, but nonetheless, Lost was a big deal. Right. But so Lindelof Lindelof's is going available. around Hollywood, right? Yeah. And so there's stuff like, uh, you know, uh, Cowboys and Aliens. That's 2011. Prometheus, where he's coming on, you know, right. and, and taking a pass at them. Prometheus' pass is much more 
substantive, I think, in terms of what I can tell you exactly what happened on Prometheus. Do you want me to? Please. So Prometheus, someone, uh, John Spatis or whatever, writes an alien prequel script. Off the heat of Passengers. I'm telling you, that thing was there on the page. Creepypasta. That thing was there on the page. Well, if you say so. Well, I mean, they didn't. Ridley Scott reads this script. You want want to know why it was there on the page? Why? Because it knew it was creepy. Creepypasta. Right. What if a movie knew it was creepypasta? Mm. It's called Passengers. What if a movie thought that it was charming? It's called Passengers. Morton Tilden's Passengers. Yeah. So Scott, Ridley Scott, sees that script Mm -hmm. and is like, eh, you know, alien prequel. That's fine. Like, we could film this. It was much more of just like, what what happened to make that ship land that they find an alien? Like, I'm going to explain it in a pretty straightforward way. Ridley Scott, famously, who is uninterested in alien prequels, was not excited at the idea of doing a literal alien prequel. Well, That's what's so weird about it. Well, then he's like, yeah, alien prequel, alien prequel. I'm more interested in like some kind of like Paradise Lost, you know, uh, 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 androids arguing with God. So then that was the big announcement. So he calls up Lindelof and he, and of course I interviewed Lindelof. And so I asked him a lot about Prometheus because I'm obsessed with that movie. Because their announcement at the time, the press release was like, Ridley Scott's Aliens film is no longer an Aliens film. Damon Lindelof comes on. It's now original sci-fi. Right. And the way Lindelof put it is he's like, I wrote the movie and he did a page page one rewrite. And obviously they kept some of the stuff, but you know, but it's the way those movies work and the way every Ridley Scott movie works is he's standing there with a cigar in his mouth and he's like, and then that should happen. And then this is going to happen. You know, he's like, it's not really my movie. I just write it. Which apparently he did with Blade Runner as well. It's what he does with everything. Yes. Well, 2049, he was going to direct it. It was a toss up between the two. And my hot take has always been, what if Villeneuve and Scott swapped those films? Um, Yeah, it's interesting. I I like both movies. I do too. I think I'd like both of them more if they had directed the other. Who knows? But anyway, it's just like funny to me that Lindelof gets so much shit from Prometheus. Um, sure. Anyway. I'm not throwing that shit at his feet. Yeah. But Disney's kind of coming to him with the idea of like, Damon Lindelof, blank check. What would you like to do if you if you were able to birth something from the ground up rather than taking over someone's project, right? right? Yes. And he goes, I'd love to make a big budget live action original sci-fi film. Right. So he starts meeting with them. He brings on Jensen. Jeff Jensen, who had is an was the TV critic at EW, mm-hmm. and Lindelof, who obsessively reads everything written about everything he's ever done, which Bit is of one a reason in that respect. Yeah, one reason that he drives himself so crazy. Uh, uh, real Griff in that respect. He really respected Jensen, so yeah. he brings Jensen aboard and says, "Like, do all the research for me because I am thinking about writing something about like space age Disney thinking, like right. Walt Disney, Tomorrowland, the Epcot, like, you know, city, like all right. this shit. Now in the Disney theme park IP boon of the early 2000s. Right. Where they're which, like, let's make a haunted elevator movie. Right. Excuse me. It's called the Haunted Mansion. Whatever the fuck it's called. It's one of the greatest rides of all time. <laughs> um, Have you been on the haunted elevator Thing, You're ben? confusing two rides. There's a Tower of Terror, which is an elevator, and there's a Haunted Mansion, which is a dark ride. No, I haven't been to Disney since I was a child. Wow. Well, you didn't go in the Haunted Mansion then? No, it was raining when I went. Oh. So uh, I also don't remember. Delights. I don't remember the day well. Hmm. And, and this is the only time you did it? And it's the only time I ever did it. Was it in uh, California or in Florida? Florida. Mm-hmm. It rains a lot in Florida. I know. Rainy place. Yeah. It's, My- it kind of st- stunk. 
I'll say yeah, my, my parents place. my parents pulled one of those on me, which like we didn't go on a family vacation to Disney until I was maybe like eight or nine. Okay. And I want to go every year. And my mom's argument was like, but I took you to Euro Disney. And I was like, I was a year and a half and it <laughs> rained the whole time. Everything was shut down. Right. Like I was tiny, but I just remember being in a slicker right. and everyone being like, oh, no, 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 no. For me, for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, so the thing that they're trying to tap into Disney, as they're going through all these different right. like theme park properties, they keep on going like, Tomorrowland's a good bucket to put a movie in. Sure. Right. It's, it's a, a cool name, title. Right. It's a good yeah. aesthetic. Yeah. And it's this idea of the future as we imagined it 50 or 60 years ago. Right. They announced it at one point as a Dwayne Johnson movie. I don't know if you remember this. I do. 2008, they were like, we're going to make a big budget sci-fi family film. Yeah. But I don't think they ever have any strong take on it. No, because it's hard to have a take on the concept of 1950s future. Right. Like, but, that's not a movie. But Lindelof comes in. It's a theme in. park. Right. Uh, 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 uh. Ben's telling or me, is it? Ben's yeah. telling me to be an optimist. So Lindelof comes in and goes, what if we made a movie about that notion of trying to make that future in the 50s right. and where we went wrong, how we lost that our way? And it is announced with a working title of? 1952, which was the year that Tomorrowland was started. And, uh... It's just funny that Brad Bird has had two movies in production that are just a year in the 20th century. Correct. Yeah. He uh, announces that, and then very shortly thereafter, Brad Bird is announced yes. as director. Yeah. And people go, In May 2012. Is this Star Wars? Because uh, Disney's bought Star Wars. Yeah, 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 sure. Right, right, right. And they go, that sounds like it could be the pair. Right. It would make sense that they would hire Lindelof and Brad Bird to do Star Wars. Right. What comes out is, Kathy Kennedy offers... Brad Bird, Star Wars. Yes. That was, he, he was her first call. Right. And he well, went... No, I think Nolan was her first call. Nolan was like, not doing franchises. Bye. There yeah. were, by all accounts, a few people where she went like, I'm just doing due diligence. No chance you want to do this, right? right? right like right. Spielberg, That's like one of those, Nolan, like, like when the NBA Fincher. trade season begins where you call the Cavs. You're like, you want right. to trade me LeBron James? Yeah. Like, no thanks. All right, fine. Yeah. I didn't think so. Michael yeah. Jordan want to come off the bench? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. She did a couple of those calls. But <laughs> by all accounts, her first legitimate like swing at the bat was like, Brad Bird, I think you could do this. Yeah. You know, she said, this is a very rare opportunity. And he said, getting to make an original film of this size is an equally rare opportunity. And I can't pass that up. I think there is a logic to that decision. And that is much easier for Brad Bird to now go and do a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Than it would have been for him to do Tomorrowland post Star Wars. Sure. I, I think the last five years changed the entire climate in which Tomorrowland could be made. Even then, it seemed anomalous that the yeah, film definitely. was produced. This was the number one original sci-fi film of its year. Yeah. And it, it was. Do you know what the others were? A colossal flop. Jupiter Ascending. Mm -hmm. uh, 2012. 2015. No, 15. Wow, it's that recent. Right. 2012 when it was announced. I'm mixing up the dates. Chill out, chill out. I'm sorry. I'm freaking out. <laughs> Calm down. I'm freaking the uh, fuck basically, out. Basically, right it's, sorry, it's this movie where, like, this, someone is like consciousness. Do you know what I mean? Oh, Lucy? No. No. You know, he's like consciousness. It's like he's alive. Oh, Chappy. Yes. His love is real, but he did not. Yeah, Ben's favorite movie. Love Chappie. Because <laughs> Dianthwood are involved. Oh, they're great. Is that, is that what they're called? Dianthwood. Dianthwood. Yeah. That's the only like crust sci-fi movie, right? <laughs> there should be more. Gutter sci-fi? I feel like they're, I feel like Super Mario Brothers is like an underrated crust punk sci-fi movie. Yeah, that's true. Because like everyone in that movie except for the Mario Brothers wears like leather jackets yeah. and is a turtle. And, and Toad like is like a crust like busker. Like he is like a fucking like street musician. Yep. We got to cover that. Yeah, we should. We should. Cool. 
Let's do it. Cool. Great. So that's next week. Um, <laughs> but today we're talking about Tomorrowland. They announce it in 1952, and they start mystery boxing really hard. Yeah. What is this project? Oh, we found a box. They literally yeah, do this social media thing. Yeah, they start like thing. tweeting out photos where like Brad Bird takes a picture of like a, a vinyl box record. they found yeah. in the Disney vault and all these clues to what we're making. And then they did like D23, the big Disney convention. They opened the box and they had a camera on it and they showed off each item. Everyone's like, what the fuck is this thing? And then they announce it's Tomorrowland. Right. Which still doesn't really tell you anything, but at least tells you the direction of of what this movie is. Yeah. That it's not rebooting some pre-existing property. It's using this. Right. This this Umbrella brand. term that's yes. existed for Disney. And then the movie is made in pretty much secrecy. It's yes. very closely guarded. The first teaser trailer fucks. It, when I saw that Taylor trailer, I was like, I just can't believe we like live in a world where like Brad Bird makes movies. I'm so excited for right. this. The, the first teaser trailer for this movie takes off its pants, finds a, a enthusiastic and consenting partner, right. and fucks. Uh, <laughs> so the trailer, the teaser, if you guys remember, it's just that scene of her in the prison, uh, you know, in the yes. jail. Right. Where Collecting she her belongings. gets the pin. Yeah. Is that Bill Camp as the cop? It's not. It's just a Bill Campy guy. Yeah, it's like an older camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and when she touches the pin, she sees this wheat field in the city in the distance. Yeah. It's cool. Right. And then you hear George Clooney going like, what if there was a place? Right, right. right. Yeah. Um, there was an idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to bring together the lands. Swear to me. <laughs> Unite the lands. Yeah. Um, My man. Right. Um, this movie, I think, like, you and I see that teaser trailer and we're like, fucking, yeah! Yeah, that's what we're like. Right, we're like, sold. No, no I don't need to know anything else. Right. Brad Bird, original sci-fi, light touch in the teaser, stunning visuals in Britt a small Robertson, dose. who I was a fan of because she was uh, on Life Unexpected. Same here. Which I inexplicably watched every episode Her of. Her character's name was Lux. Hence. Life on. Ex- expected yeah and then the rest of the title is not represented in her name um but she's really fucking good in that she is and i was like this is someone who's gonna pop this is one of those people who's just waiting for the vehicle yeah and when she gets cast there's kind of that aura around it of like disney's entrusted this 200 million dollar movie to this like cw star right like they're they're anointing her yeah they've decided that she's capable of holding this and then they bring on jaclooney who <laughs> my my favorite man like my favorite movie star that's not true. Well, your favorite Bacon. of right, yeah, thank you. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, I I really like George. Your Clooney. favorite of the traditional leading man, yeah, the sort of a movie meeting. star. That's right. what I mean, you know. But the thing that I think people don't kind of process when he signs on to this is that he doesn't fucking do movies like this. no, never. He's got his one franchise, which is Oceans. Yeah, but he did Batman and Robin, and that like swore right. him off any of these kinds of things. But but there, forever, there are five George Clooney movies in total that have made over a hundred million dollars. And it's the three oceans. It's Batman and Robin in the Perfect Storm. I think. Hmm. Is there another one? Clayton. Did that do good? Clayton actually did well. I don't think it made a hundred. Like fifty. That like that becomes a Clooney success. Is like he makes an adult drama and it does fifty or sixty. It had the most baguettes of a big release that year. You know. Got the baguette prize. I I love. I love Clayton so much. I like it too. I I mean, I think that should be. I mean, there's so many of those books. You could totally make a franchise out of that. I don't. What is? What He's is referencing something? What? What do you? What have you confused Michael Clayton with? What do you? Isn't are, are there all those paperback books about the 
lawyer. You think it's Michael Crichton? You think that oh, movie's a Michael Crichton nope, biopic? Those aren't the same? You think that's Michael Crichton's origin story? Yeah. Maybe it is. He was a fixer who then ran a failed restaurant. 100% Saw a horse that. on a hill. 100% thought okay. that. Wow, we're really getting to old school because I'm trying to check your Clooney thing and the Wi-Fi is not working. Oh! Right. Well, anyway, we'll get back to that. Uh, so, Griffin, mm-hmm. have you heard the news? Our, our Two of our friends are now friends with each other. They've both been on our podcast separately. Now they're doing their podcast together. We're talking about friend of the show, Amy Nicholson. She was on the Memento episode. Maybe you heard it. We're talking about friend of the show, Paul Shear. He was on the Running Scared episode. Maybe you heard it. Together, they're watching the greatest movies of all time on their new podcast, Unspooled. And the first episode is out now. I think the second episode's out now. It's about, They covered Citizen Kane. They covered Ben-Hur. They're going through the AFI 100 list. Oh, okay. No, it's just when you said they're covering the greatest movies of all time, I was like, that's crazy. They're committing to just doing Toy Story 2 every week. That's quite a... I can't believe they got to that before I did. Well, uh, they're going to watch some of the classic movies you're supposed to have seen, like Citizen Kane. That's the first episode. Mm -hmm. But they're going to cover everything on this list. Taxi Driver, Graduate, Pulp Fiction. I will point out number 99 on the AFI 100 is Toy Story. Really? Yeah. Where does T.S. Trois rank? T.S. Trois? Yeah, T.S. Trois. You're saying two? Yeah. Uh, not there. Neither is three. Oh, no, three is Trois. Right, yeah, two. About, yeah, but yeah. no, neither of them there, just the first one. Interesting. But they're going to cover crazy backstories. Yeah. Like how a group of Hollywood bigwigs tried to stop Citizen Kane from being made. They wanted to burn the celluloid. Yeah. They're going to bring on film experts to talk about what happened behind the scenes. And if you've heard, like, how did this get made, Paul's podcast... Or Amy's podcast, The Canon. Can, yeah. You know, you know this is going to be fun. Heard on Blank Check. There are people who love Maybe movies. Maybe you heard them on Blank Check. Maybe you heard them on Blank Check. And if you're listening to Blank Check, you like people talking about it, movies. I've, I mean, they've, they've been doing a great job so far. I'm, I, I love hearing them talk to each other. I agree. They're both really smart, engaging people. And it's I annoying. realized it was very presumptuous for me to refer to them as friends. You were much smarter to say friends of the show because <laughs> now I'm worried they're listening to it and Paul's going to be like, I don't hang out with that guy. We're not friends. We're not fr- I'm friendly. <laughs> no, I think Paul's I ran a great into friend Amy of ours. And she was like, hey. <laughs> no, we're all friends and we're asking you to check out Unspooled in podcast apps like Apple Podcasts right now. Yeah, there are two best friends. They're the four friends with us. Listen to Unspooled. Clooney is like an A-list star who mostly makes like yeah, he doesn't want to make that shit. vanity project. He owns a tequila company. He doesn't need to. But this is prior to that, which means that this is the last time he will. What's this tequila company? Yeah, what's it called again? Uh, 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 Tres Amigos or something. Yeah, Casas de Amigos. When I when I interviewed him in Toronto, he had just sold it, and yeah. he he literally said like, I. I just sold my tequila company. I don't ever need to make a movie. Yeah. Like, I only make a movie if I want to make a movie. Uh, Clooney's uh, episode of the Letterman Netflix show is really fascinating. Ooh. Uh, and he talks about all this a lot. And he's like, yeah, I'm not really fishing for stuff. If something comes to me and it's right. really exciting, I'll do it. I'd also be happy never acting again. Yeah, he seems chilled. He, also, he married this, like, ridiculously impressive lady. So yes. I guess he could just, like, hang out with her. Uh, he seems like he wants to produce and direct more, which the yeah. American public does not really want him to well, do. Well, I'm happy for him to do it, I guess. Yeah. I don't fucking know. Uh, but it's so it can only go up. Right it's now. a weird big deal for him to do this. Yeah, and it cuts both ways. It's like this seems like a prestige project for like a big blockbuster, right? And uh, and this seems like a big blockbuster for Clooney. Um, and then they're keeping the lid on it, which I think conclusively at this point, the kind of mystery box marketing, which Abrams has like really ushered in the new era of, yeah, is 
a failure as an experiment. Yeah, definitely. Because I think... People need to know, especially with a movie like this, they need to know what the movie's about. And not even just a failure in terms of like uh, financial success, but I think it almost always impedes enjoyment of the movie because marketing is so omnipresent now that if they're keeping that title lit on it, you start speculating way too much about what the film could be. And when you get into the theater, it's always going to be disappointing because it's only going to be one thing. So you forgot, you got it right with the the Three Oceans movies, Perfect Storm and Batman and Robin. What's the other one? one? His most successful film. His most successful film. He's not the star of it. He's not the star. But he is above the title and he is like the second star. He is the second star of the film. Came out uh, just five years ago. It came out just five years. Oh, Gravity. 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 You kind of forget he's in that, but you know what? So good in it. Yeah. He's very good in it. Yeah. Um, agreed. But but that's the point. Very few. Like Yeah, right. But yeah. I mean, yes. But I mean, but when you're looking at it, you do see like he makes films like Up in the Air, The Descendants, mm-hmm. uh, Burn After Reading that don't cost a lot of money and make surprising amounts right. of money. Right, like Burn After Reading did like 60 and the other two did close to 90, right? Correct. Yeah, right. So that's those yeah. Those are Clooney home runs. A Clooney home run is you make a $20, 30000000 million movie and it makes 100 domestic and another 100 overseas. Now he was trying to be like a billion dollar man. Yeah. Because- Tomorrowland's one of those movies that needs to kind of make a billion dollars in order to be profitable, which is insane that they let him do this. This movie cost, um, like, probably, I mean, listed by $200 million. With a lot of marketing. Of course. That was vague. Like, they spent a lot of money to not answer. T? T? It was a lot of just the letter T. Oh, yes, the pin. Like, the marketing was a lot of the pin, T. You know, there's a big music festival in uh, Europe called Tomorrowland. So they own the copyright in a lot of countries. This film had right. to be released as Project T, which is um, the worst fucking title. In other countries, it also had the subtitle A World Beyond. Which is a terrible subtitle. True. Um, I will say this is a movie where I think every single cent is on screen. Yeah, no, it looks good. This movie looks so fucking expensive. It looks great. It looks expensive is a good way to put it, though. Yeah. Because some of the visual effects are, I mean, some of the design's a little bland. Yeah. Um, but I, I like the design overall. I'll also say, anytime like it's it. a practical set, I'm really impressed. There are a lot yeah, of Ben's big making, sets in this Ben's movie. Ben's making the right face right now. A lot of big sets. Um, so the movie comes out. No one's seeing it. There's like total embargo. Like, like up until like three days before the movie comes out, it's a complete mystery. Pretty much. Like, really? Right. It's like, seriously. I mean, there was an official trailer and there was, I remember... I watched basically most of the house escape scene was came out. That came out. They released that they as like a clip to hype people up. Right. And I remember watching that and thinking, this looks fucking astonishing. Masterpiece. This is like a just Brad Bird directing action. Like right. it's just what I want. And yeah. sci-fi, it's cool. And I remember there was a synopsis that came out early that leaked out from like some Disney insider that was like, it's about like a little girl robot in alternate reality. And they were like, not true. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> yeah. But that was like the only thing out there. And then like... <laughs> the week of the movie's release, a bunch of critics who were all Bird fans who were like, no way this isn't like a, a beautiful surprise under the Christmas tree. This is going to fucking stun us. All of them came out and were like, um, um, it's interesting. He's going for it. And it comes out, disappoints opening weekend, although does a number that's bigger than you in retrospect would believe this movie did. Doesn't multiply super well and is sort of forgotten. Yeah. Like not sort of forgotten. And Brad Bird, much like Andrew Stan before him, is kind of sent with his tail between his legs back to Pixar to be like, okay, I'll make that sequel. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Bird also felt like he finally had a good idea for Incredibles. Sure. But it's this interesting thing that both those guys had to do where it's like, I got to lick my wounds and, and rebound here. Yeah. Now, Stanton, I heard, 
apparently agreed to do Finding Dory under the condition that Disney would let him make another live-action film, which still hasn't been announced, even though Finding Dory is, no one remembers, one of the 10 highest-grossing films of all time. Yeah. The highest-grossing animated film, period. Okay. Uh, I think they end up throwing him something in the next couple years. Okay. I mean, we're not here to talk about it. I know. I'm just saying, I wonder if Bird has a similar condition. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I wish he was doing a Star Wars, but now it feels like their dance card's so fucking filled up. Yeah, and trilogies. also, forget it. Right. Do something else. Right. Yeah. Um, but let's talk Honestly, about... Honestly. Yeah. Let's talk about this film. Yes. It opens very strangely. So every decision this film makes is strange. Yes. Um, but yeah, opening we- is weird. Yeah. Uh, it's a video. Of... George Clooney, mm-hmm. director dressing the camera. Yep. A really cool countdown clock with light bulbs. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. Right at the start, you're like, fuck, this is this could be fucking good. Getting hard. And I'll say this. I, a lot of movies try to like recapture What is the name for those weird like no, light I, countdown things? There's some name for it. them and they they are specific and really cool. Yeah. Um a lot of movies today. People go like, I'm trying to recapture that like Spielberg feel, that like Amblin-y, like warm glow feel. Yeah. And you watch it and it feels kind of affected. This is Ooh, one of those yeah. movies that really somehow captures that feeling visually. Yes. Not in uh, reappropriating or recreating the way those movies looked. No. This movie looks unbelievable just from a cinematography standpoint. Uh, Claudia Miranda. Who's one of the best digital DPs. Mm-hmm. He's one of the guys who figured out how to make the digital camera warm. What else has he done? He did Life of Benjamin Pi? Button. He did Life of Pi. Did he do Life of Pi? I'm gonna look he up. did. There's a he did. He won the Oscar for Life of right, Pi. Right. There's another big digital one. I'm forgetting that he did. Yeah. But he was like not a feature guy essentially before. He did like Failure to Launch was his first feature. Oh, beautiful. He was shot. mostly a music video and commercials guy. Oh, he did Tron Legacy, right? Which is a gorgeous movie, right? Then Fincher brings him up to the big leagues with Benjamin Button. He's yeah. only done a handful of movies. Yeah. But um, he's a guy who is able to because the. The backhand slap against digital uh, cinematography is that it often feels kind of cold and sterile. Mm-hmm. That you can't get those warm color tones and make them feel natural. And this movie has such a great color palette and a real like animator's sense of how color dictates the mood of a scene. And I do get that like kind of tummy glow from watching the the inspirational, optimistic scenes of this movie. Right. right? So even just that slow push into the clock. I'm like, here we go. I'm in good hands. Yeah, baby. Right? Uh, and then interrupted by Britt Robertson off screen, who's like, you're telling the story wrong. Right, yeah. And now it's the two of them bickering. <sighs> and um, get ready for a lot of that. Mm-hmm. That's my, like, it's cute if this is just it, but it is on rewatch. I was like, it is crazy how much of this movie is people arguing with each other over weird little details. Yes. Like, what is that? Ah, don't worry about it. What are you? Come on, explain it to me. I need you to explain it to me. I can't explain it to you right now. Like, you know, like so much of that. And I read a lot of critics say, I realized at that moment this movie wasn't going to work. Uh, okay. Like, just it felt off uh-huh. the second they start fighting. But then he's like, oh, well, well, all right, fine. Like, what would you, you know, what's your take? And she's like, I'm an optimist, right? Like, right. Like, I need the exact dialogue because they're talking about, like, the world ending. Why would you do it differently? Right. right. Would, yeah. Right. Yeah. And she right. goes, because I'm an optimist. Yeah. And then it cuts to his childhood, right? First. Uh, it cuts to his childhood. Right. Yes. It cuts to him, the little boy inventor, making a jetpack. Yeah. And going to the World's Fair. Yes. In Queens. Yes. Um, and Which showing is the off the World's his Fair jet. where 
Disney kind of presented Epcot. Well, not Epcot, but tomorrow, like, well, a, a, lot of, a lot World. of stuff. Right, Carousel yeah. of Progress, which is one of my favorite attractions because it's dorky and they use that song here. The, it's the great, big, beautiful tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That song. Um, and and he's there with his jetpack trying to get people to pay attention to him. Now, I couldn't sleep last night in a stunning, uncharacteristic, off-brand turn of events. And so I watched literally every special feature on this Blu-ray. They were uh, weirdly uh, educational into the process of making this film. Right. And it's a lot of people talking about how difficult Brad Bird is, right? Uh, okay. And a lot of him talking about NASA and believing in the future and stuff like that. He originally wanted the cold open of this film to be what we see only for two seconds, which is Frank Walker on his farm trying out the jetpack and failing. Okay. And it was supposed to be like beautiful, like Spielberg-y tableau. Here's right. the farm. He puts on the jetpack. He goes. It crashes. He goes back. His dad reprimands him. Okay. And that was going to be the first five minutes of the movie. You don't open with the the arguing thing. And everyone's like, yeah, it took us like seven days to shoot that sequence. Huh. It's really tough to do it with a real kid and have the camera moving in sync with the jetpack. He didn't want to use a, CGI. The movie has a lot of kids. You see, and and doing stunts with kids is really difficult. You have limited hours. All the kids, I mean, the two kids, uh, young Frank and uh, Athena, uh, had to do five weeks of stunt training before they even finished, started filming the movie. Yeah, because especially Athena has a ton of stunts. Right? And young Frank is mostly flying. Yeah, most I mean, of his, his one big scene is the jetpack scene. Right, and, yeah. the, well, and this other jetpack scene that they didn't end up yeah, using. Right. And the producer's like, Haha. Uh, the thing that's great about Brad is that he comes from animation, so he's got these great shot ideas. And um, <laughs> the thing that's interesting about Brad is that he doesn't understand how difficult they are to do in live action. Oh, my God. And you just see Brad Bird wearing a hat going like, okay, let's put the kid up on the wires. <laughs> and they're not in like a green screen place. They're in like a farm and they have this yeah. rig and the camera's yeah. on like a fucking 16-wheeler. Uh-huh. And they scrap all of that. They just use wow. it as a cut-in when he goes, drops his jetpack onto Hugh Laurie's desk. Right. Hugh Laurie says, does it work? You see half a second. Boom, crash. Kind of. The and dad you see going of, like, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, but that was supposed to be the cold open that was supposed to go straight Fine. to that, right? Um, he feels uh, disillusioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the other question is, what good does this do? And he goes, it's just fun. Can it just be fun? Right. Which is weird because that's not really what the rest of the movie is saying. No. Yep. But this movie throws a lot of ideas out there that it then sort of just lets hang out there. Right. Um, but no. And then he demonstrates uh, his jetpack by sneaking into Tomorrowland. Well, first, little robot girl in a little blue dress gives him the follows tea. him. Yep. Right. Gives him the T-pin and goes like, follow us through here, but don't get caught. Yeah. So he gets on the car after them for uh, It's a Small World After All, scans the pin, mm-hmm. secret hatch. Now he's in Tomorrowland. He's almost vomiting. Yes, right? Yes. Right. Weird transportation. But I love all of this stuff. I love using the iconography of like 60s Disney. theme park rides. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Do you know, okay, so Disney was supposed to be two things. One, on the Blu-ray, there's the option to watch this with a cartoon short before the film. Weird. And the cart- Like a sort of like uh, 60s, like, nah, 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 like it, that. It's a 2D animated <laughs> Okay. Short film that's supposed to look like it's from the 60s. Okay. And it was supposed to be in the World's Fair sequence as one of the videos on one of the rides. That Sh- Frank sort goes of Jurassic Parky, where it like right. sets a lot of stuff up for you. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. And I think it's really good and it should have been in the movie. Well, um, I mean, at 130 minutes, but yes. this movie feels like it has a lot of stuff you could cut. Yes. But, I, but this 
if you put this scene in, you're able to cut four other scenes later on where people have to explain what Tomorrowland is, right? right? Um, this idea of uh, this movie never really explains what Tomorrowland is. This video does that's, it. Perfectly, that's my huge, which well, is insane. Sure. That is it's my biggest minutes. problem with yeah. this movie. Right. So this video does it perfectly, which is plus ultra was right. Jules Verne, a secret society comprised of, I believe. Jules Verne, Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison, Nikolai Tesla, which is insane because they hated each other. No, they got along. And Gustav Eiffel. Right. And initially, Walt this Disney. movie was going to include Walt Disney as the mm-hmm. fifth member of this. They decided to strip him out of it. Probably, I'm assuming, because someone said, like, Disney's legacy is way too complicated to just yeah. make him a simple, like, dreamy guy. I'm not sure. They shot that stuff, though. It's I all know, the deleted scenes. I know. Yeah. And it... It's interesting to me because what is so fascinating about this movie to me is that yeah. it is so invested in the 60s, 50s, you yeah. know, 60s Walt Disney legacy of the future, like vision right. of the future shit. And that shit is so capital P problematic if you dig into it. Yes. But it's not if you just like do the surfacey Disney World, right. you know. And, right. And like, I guess they were just like, well, just do the surfacey Disney World thing. And then at some point someone was like. I think it's too tricky, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it has to be. I think it has to be. It also feels weird when you see the characters on screen being like, and Walt Disney himself. <laughs> right. Like, there's right. a longer version of the Catherine Hahn, uh, Keegan-Michael Key scene where right. they talk about Walt Disney a lot. And and you're like, this is odd. They're all talking around it, though, where they're yes. like, what is Tomorrowland? Well, it's not Walt Disney's idea. Right. But, like, but it is obvious. It's just Disney, you know? Right. The one line they should have kept in was, like... It, she goes like the theme park and they go like, well, that was the cover. Uh, sure. Right. You know, he, he was in an old uncle Walt. Right. Um, but he gets sucked into Tomorrowland. This rubbit almost knocks him out, but then fixes his jetpack. So now it works. Right. Yeah. Which I kind of dislike because it's like, well, then he didn't really deserve to be here. The robot. Yeah. But he had the ambition. Agreed. That's what Athena sees in him. Right. He has the, and he has the joy for invention, which is right. Athena sees in him. Right. So then he gets the jetpack on just in time, lands in front of, David Nix, played by Dr. House MD. Hugh Laurie. Uh, George Clooney has a very funny line on one of the behind the scenes where he's like, for me, and I think Hugh would say the same, Tomorrowland is a film about uh, two TV doctors who finally get to hang out together. <laughs> sure. I wish they would hang out more. Me too. I mean, I also wish Hugh Laurie had like a character in this. Okay, so you want- Such a talented actor. Agreed. You want my number one hot take Griff fix for this movie? Because I think I figured out how to fix this movie. Mm-hmm. I think Hugh Laurie and George Clooney should be one character. Uh, okay. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to go through my fixes as we go through the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. But I think for this sequence, you probably don't get an actor of Hugh Laurie's caliber to only do this, but you have someone, sure. stuffed shirt, to play oh, the guy hey, you know. doesn't want to let him in, right? Yeah, yeah. Then George Clooney enters Tomorrowland. I like all this stuff a lot. I like all this the, the young opening. Frank stuff. Yeah, me too. Sure. Uh, I like Athena. I think Rafi Cassidy is really good. I, I think a lot of me giving her the Blinky nomination was just like, how the fuck did they find this kid? Yeah, and also you're just being a griff. You it's know. a real griff pick, yeah. but it's also like a masterpiece of casting where it's like, hey, I'm Brad Bird. Here's an impossible ask. Yeah. Get me a 10-year-old who looks 10 but behaves right. like a 70-year-old robot. Right, and who has like the wisdom of years and right. also she's going to need to like fly around and do crazy stunts. Which she did all her own stunts. Good for her. Insane. Like yeah. the whole thing's insane, right? Uh. So then it flashes forward to, right? It goes back to the narration where 
Casey's like, okay, enough of this. You're going to go yeah, through your Casey's whole childhood. Yeah, Casey's like, Jesus, all right. And she's like, let me talk about myself. And you see this, uh, her looking at the stars as a little kid with this her dad, Tim McGraw. Her mom, Judy Greer. Who gets cut out of the movie. Which they shot. I know. The film with her being alive. I know. There I was a know. whole different family situation where they were like strapped lower middle class. So they're like... Um, the uncle and his kids had moved in with them. It was like too many kids in one household. Everyone's sort of feeling the strain of the economy. Uh, and the mom's still alive. Yeah. Then they were like, fuck, the home stuff doesn't work. There's too much. We need to simplify it just down to the dad. And also they shot all of it where Casey was like really disaffected and disillusioned. And they were like, this doesn't work because for the first 20 minutes of the movie – She's just a bummer. Yeah. She needs to be unerringly optimistic. Right. Which it's like, how did they recognize that that need to be fixed but didn't recognize all the other things that need to be fixed? Maybe they did and just didn't have the time or I'm not sure. That makes a huge change. Sure. The the bummer Casey scenes are a bummer. Well, so that's the thing. Now, forget Frank. Right. We're not with Frank. For an Casey, hour. yeah, who is, how old is she supposed to be? 15? I don't know. She's being played by a girl in her mid-20s. Right. Who looks like a girl in her mid-20s. Right. But she's supposed to be 15 or 16. Right. I mean, I described this to Griffin off mic as like an Allison Lohman situation yes. where if you put her in a baseball cap, like maybe if you squint could right. still be a teenager, but she's too old really She's for got it. a very young face. She but, does. But she also but doesn't look young. No. She's just got the features she of a young like a person, up. but she looks like her age. And so I'm like, I can't. I just can't, and maybe some people can't, watch the movie without thinking, like, this is about a 25-year-old who lives yeah. with her 8-year-old brother and is obsessed with restoring NASA's dominance, <laughs> right? Like, right, which is, I just can't buy her as a, a kid. Do you know the first two people they offered this part to? Who? Uh, Shailene Woodley. Uh, okay. And Amelia Clark. Okay. All in the same age range. Right. I wonder why they didn't just go, hey, maybe the main character should be like 25. I mean, clearly they wanted an experienced and talented actress, right. which is fine. And someone, this is a very demanding movie, so they yeah. couldn't have an actual teenager. Right. They need a grown person. But also, is there a reason the character needs to be a teenager? Uh, um, no. Right? No. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's my big question. <laughs> right? No, no. There's no, no, there's nothing no. gained from her being a teenager. No, she could still be. I, I mean, like, got out of she's college. She's idealistic, right. and I guess teens. Can, she could play eighteen, nineteen, and it would be the same. She could story. be a college student. Yeah. She could be twenty two. Right. She could be yeah. out of college. But but even twenty makes a big difference from like sixteen I mean, or seventeen. Not that they say her age. Never. It's just that it's she's a teenager. And you can tell sure. she's trying to play younger than she is. Yeah, which I think the way she does a very her. good job. She's a talented actress. Yeah, she's very expressive, and this is one of those movies where. This is a deceptively difficult performance because of how technical this film is. Sure, and also a lot of her, her character's arc is demanding to know what's going on from everyone, right, which, which is can, a tough thing to be handled. Yes, but I also think a lot of these shots, the way they're constructed, she has to have like very precise blocking in order to hit certain marks because of the way the CGI is interacting with her. Like, The Tick, yes, the show you're on, yeah. does well, in my opinion, to make it a joke that you're not given information. If well, you can disagree, not my kind of show. I'm not a fan. If you can land that, and the tick is good at it, and I do think other things are good at it. I disagree. Eh, quite. But you know what I'm talking about? Where yeah, it's like, yes. instead of having what Tomorrowland is, which is can be Lindelof's problem in general, which is a lot of circular conversations he's so that good, just frustrate right, you. He's so good at making things, making it feel like something amazing is about to happen. Right. But 
And Not then he yet. strings you along too long, and then by and the then time you happens, get there, it often like, feels oh, underwhelming. Bad. Right. Whereas, like, if you can make it a joke where right. it's just the information just bounces off of someone and it's funny, okay, right. then right. then you landed it. But this movie does not do that. So you're saying this movie should have started Griffin Newman type? Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. So, Casey, a little girl with way too much paprika on the sandwich, where she's like, I want to go up there to the stars. <laughs> like, doing, like, the ultimate, like... Too much cute kid performance, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right. And then it cuts ahead to like, okay, her dad's a NASA engineer, but they're about to shut everything down, close it down. They're dismantling it. Why? Because we gave up. We stopped looking at the stars. And I guess it's like this interstellar. Is, we stopped looking at the stars. You know, it, yeah, it has that sort of interstellar vibe of like, you know, and then this is the period where even Obama's like, yeah, the NASA fund NASA right now. It's getting cut pretty broke. hard at this point. You know, so NASA's like, it's like, what do you want to do, NASA? And NASA's like, I don't know. Post-recession, NASA was, like, getting fucking right. axed. Yeah, like, should we, like, maybe a satellite or something? Yeah. Like, you know, like, that's all they got. They're not like, we're going to the moon! The and moon! They make and a people big like deal. Brad Bird, who yeah. grew up in the space age, are like, you know, man, that's that was the good stuff. Like, I was a kid, and I watched Neil Armstrong land on the moon. Like, the space station's Ben's last like orbit was when they were right filming now. this I movie. I totally am. Yeah. No, they're, they're well, tapping into a real thing. Wasn't that long that we sent uh, the Mars rover? So, I, like, I understand. We got, got all that shit. It's true. We yeah. got a lot of unmanned probes out there. Yeah, sure, probing. Yeah. So we still have a space program. There were two things that happened simultaneously while they were filming this film. One is the space station made its final orbit, and it felt like that's the end of an era. Right. Sure. And and two was they sent the Mars rover up. So it was like kind of like a baton off, but it felt a little pessimistic at that moment because before the rover landed, it felt like, well, now we don't really have anything going on up there, you know? Okay. It felt like that was kind of shoe leather. Um, but the dad's out of a job and Casey keeps on trying to sneak in and dismantle the cranes that are going to gonna tear take down, the, down the landing launch platform. Is that a great plan? She comes home, tells her brother is really excited that now her dad's going to be able to go back to work or or at least have time off to work on his own stuff. Yeah. Rather than deconstructing. And he's like, no, nothing changed. Casey goes to school. Negativity, negativity, famine, world, yeah, disease. And, and now you're starting to get what Bird is doing. Yeah, you see Bird just grinding that axe. Like that scene where the teacher's like, the world will, like, you yeah. know, scrub something over the board. And, yeah. and she's like, what can we do about it? And he's like, what? What? what, what, what? Yeah. World Nothing. plus now equals poo-poo. <laughs> <laughs> Disease. And like anytime you see a TV, much like uh fucking the village, like yes. or it's like tornado destroys right. country. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it's always like some like like natural event or uh, war thing. Um there there's another thing they cut out of this movie was the notion that in addition to all this like terrible uh stuff happening in the world. Um, art is being stolen. Like the the largest series of art heists are happening because oh, yeah. Tomorrowland is collecting all. Like right, the Mona the Lisa shit. has disappeared. Right. So this movie, and we have to talk about it as yeah. we have, you know, uh, in in Atlas Shrugged, yes, the world's great thinkers and inventors who are like too individualistic for yeah. you know government mm -hmm. and society go to this place called Grant's Gulch where they like have their own society. Yes. And it's this objectivist vision of like the strongest and the smartest and whatever. Right. It's creepy. Right. Yes. Uh, that's what this movie's about. Yes. Now it's about how that's bad. It's a rebuke to that. It yes. is, but it is 
fascinating that after years of being criticized as like incorporating a lot of this thinking, Bird has made this movie that's like trying to wrestle with exactly that idea. I, but I think that's exactly what he was intending to do. Was like, I, I want to so. make a movie explaining why that isn't what I believe in. Right. Why it looks close to that, <laughs> but it isn't. Like, that's what I love about this. And that's why he's putting himself in, he's like dividing his personality, I think, really strongly in, you know, the uh, pessimistic side of him is being put into Clooney. Right. All of the sort of like, man, we just don't, uh, we're not, we don't try anymore and we're not optimistic about the future and the world's going to end. Done, it's over. Nothing we can do about it. art is being quelched, you know, and like, and then the younger version of himself in uh, Casey, which is like... Tilting at windmills. Right. Like, you know, know, it it takes us believing in things to try and you have to make this effort and yada, yada, yada. Right. And she knows how things work. She knows how things work. So Casey tries to go in again uh, and uh, do do another fucking, uh, I, I don't know. Who cares? Uh, I hate the fucking NASA thing. Forget it. Like I'm, I, 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 I honestly, like I clearly like this movie a lot more. Than no, you, I actually yeah. really like this movie, although, but it bums me out. It and bums think, me out a lot. I think that's why where maybe the movie fails for me. There are few films where I get more frustrated by the fact that they aren't great in recent memory than this one. Agreed. Like when I watch it, I'm just but, like, I mean, why there, aren't you a fucking masterpiece? But there are parts of this movie where I'm just so into it Same and here. excited by it, but. I really dislike the first part because I think it's one confusing what she's doing. Yeah. Two makes her seem like a weirdo. Yeah. And I don't know, like it, it just feels like what she's doing is so obviously pointless. Yeah. Is it a justification though for why she's recruited? Like, I don't even yeah. really understand. Yeah, I guess that's how they uh, Raffi her. sees that. I mean, yeah. whatever. Athena. Athena sees that she's like refuses to give up on the world right. as has Athena. Athena's like the one Tomorrowland robot who would not, like, close the doors. Right. You know what I mean? Right. We find out she's a recruitment robot that's supposed to look for those, the dreamers. Right. Uh, and no. Yes! <laughs> Bleep that Yes! Out. Uh-huh. Bleep it out, because I want people to guess what I said. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, I, I think, what's interesting is, these first three minutes are the stuff that was most reshot and rewritten. So I think it feels a little haphazard Very in terms so. of like putting two things together. But I'm pretty much on board with this movie. It's it's sloppy, but at this point, I'm pretty much on board with it. I'm on board with it, but a little bit in that lindelof way of like, well, what's it about? Where's you it know, going? yeah, where's this going? So she gets this pin. Right. The pin gives her these visions of tomorrow. Gotta land. get that pin. <laughs> Give me that pin. Yeah. And she's running around this in Tomorrowland. It's very exciting. And the vision of Tomorrowland is cool. And, she, and the, fucking Brad Bird is doing... The monorail. Like, but on a much more complicated pools. technical level, he's kind of doing the Buster Keaton Sherlock Jr. gag. Where uh, it's like the actor stays the same in the frame and their environment changes around Yeah, them, that's fun. Which I fucking love. Um, and I love... Just the way the entire color palette changes in mm-hmm. Tomorrowland. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? right. Well, right. Casey's world is very bleak. Right. And gray. And the police station is like all concrete. It's like poured concrete. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and all of this stuff I think is fun where like she's in the car and she touches the pin and she's like. Yeah, that's cool. Realizing the rules of how this pin works. But then finally gets out into a field, is able to do it for the full two minutes before it runs out, quote unquote. Right. Where she gets on the monorail but doesn't get to go on. Right. So. In her pursuit of what's going on, she goes to Kevin Smith's comic book store. A secret uh, stash. Jane yeah. Silent Bob's secret stash. <laughs> no, she goes to whatever. A, it's a blast from the past is the name of the right, store. A, a nostalgia zone. Right. Run by Keegan-Michael Key and Catherine, Catherine Hahn. The great Catherine Hahn. Yeah, the great. Friend of the show. Couple, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. The greatest celebrity couple you could imagine. Right. And they work at a Brad Bird memorabilia store. Right. <laughs> at a 1950s memorabilia store. We've talked about how limited uh, the Iron Giant toys were at the time that the film came out. Mm-hmm. Seemingly all of them ended up in this one store, like the entire supply. <laughs> this is where uh, where Steven Spielberg went just to buy all the background props for Ready Player One, right? Yes. Like he just went to that store. I think they shot the entire movie in this one set. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, what if Ready Player One, when it comes out, isn't like state-of-the-art, like mocap CGI, but it's just Steven Spielberg's hands with toys going like, I'm the Iron Giant. Look at me, I'm Freddy Krueger. Yeah, that's what it is. Did you see the new trailer? No, how's it look? Really? Yeah. By the time this episode comes out... We either loved it or hated it. It will have been three months ago. <laughs> yep. Um, so, uh, in a store with all the Iron Giant merchandise and Simpsons merchandise and Mr. Incredible yeah, merchandise, yeah, yeah. Uh, they give this kind of spiel. Right, she tracks I like down this scene. through eBay. No, I know. It's just they want her pin. Give me that pin. Give me that pin. And when she provides the pin, yeah. But, but she's there sleuthing. I no, like, I know she's sleuthing. I like journey movies. Sure. Where it's about like this the step-by-step trying to figure out, you know, solve the mystery kind of stuff. And she's starting to get the information out of them. The, when she doesn't want to give them the pin, they start botting out. There are a couple uh, of robobots. Yeah. I, like, I like that. Yeah. I just like uh, the reveal that someone's a robot. I like the flickering of the When's eyes. When's that bad? They call them AAs, audio animatronics, which is what Walt Disney called the Rubbits on the rides, sure. which I think is a nice touch. Yeah, they're Chuck E. Cheese bots. Yeah, like the Hall of Presence robot. Right. That one that looks like John Voight. Donald Trump, you see the one that looks like John Voight? Oh, yeah, yeah. Donald Trump? Yeah. They're sick. <sighs> that John Voight robot? Yes. Yeah. Kind of like Donald Trump? Voight bot. Oh, yeah. Voight bot. Stuff Voight bot. Okay. Uh, so they start botting out, and uh, Casey's freaking out. They got guns. She thinks they're just uh, role-playing items, but then boom, hole in the ceiling. A gag I really like, because then she's like, how do I get out of this? The bird falls down from the ceiling, which distracts them. Uh, and then Athena comes in. Then Athena comes in. That's right. And throws a time bomb, which, hello. Love that. Love that. That's good, love right? That. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's Where such a cool like, design. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. And Athena's like doing backflips and shooting. She's got a little denim jacket. She's yeah. like, come with me. Yeah. Very the, terse little girl. Her uh, sped up movement. Yes. Throughout any of these like kind of fight sequences yeah. Yeah, or when she yeah. runs yeah. are so good looking. So good. Um, so she gets Casey out of there, destroys these robots. They or they auto-destruct. Yeah. And she gets Casey, throws her into a car. <laughs> no, she's a little 10-year-old girl driving a car. <laughs> yeah. Delivering a lot of exposition. Yes. And I, th- that scene, I love half of it, which is a little robot driving a car really calmly and talking about things calmly. I don't love Britt Robertson just yelling over and over again. Like, what is this? How are you doing that? What's going on? You know, but here's what I it's do just love. It's like 20% too dialed up. Here's what I do love. And this yeah. is an ultimate fan praise award. I'm watching. And I'm like, why does this feel so weird? And it's like, oh, right. Because it's a 10 minute stretch of the movie where it's just two female characters talking. Uh, that's true. Especially in a film of this size. You like, don't see that. True. Like, there's not, like, the one girl who's Fair. getting everything explained to her. No, you're right. It's not a, a Taylor Sheridan movie. Right. Yes. Exactly. Right. So she starts kind of vaguely doling out the information. A little bit where it's like, you have to come meet this person. He built something he shouldn't have. It's all this, like, vague, you know, and we know Clooney's their destination because we're like, where's Clooney? But they also don't want her to get to Tomorrowland yet. So the movie now starts, I feel like, artificially putting breaks. A little bit. On but- a story. 
Yeah. Because up until this point, it's pretty much moving but, forward. You know, I'm, yeah, but I'm fine with this because I love the Clooney scene. Like the, the whole, I love the whole escape from the barn. Uh-huh. But I also just, I, I love that the crux of the movie is the, the, the flicker on the world ending thing. I do too. I like, like that's when I get a little fired up and I'm like, oh, I think I'm into the, what this movie's about. And that's an hour in. Right. It, Clooney answers literally, aside from the opening, yeah. minute 55. Yeah. Now, here, here's where my fix really comes into effect. Here's my question, though. Yeah. Why does Raffi Cassidy, apart from the fact that she just can't do all those stunts, why does she drop her off at the barn and just leave? Thank you. So this is where the movie, I think, starts artificially throwing Stretching in. things out. Right. Yeah. Right, which this movie does not need to stretch things out at all. Yeah. Right? It's not like it needs to stall for time. Because um, they, they kind of make it like one moment she's like robot on a mission, get the job done, nothing can stop her. And the other moment she's fucking Nick Fury in the Avengers movies where it's right. like just a little push. I want them to get to it themselves. Yeah. Where there's no clear advantage to her leaving at Casey this figuring this out on her own. Okay? Yeah. So here's my fix. I'm throwing out here. It's part of this larger story fix. Okay? We get to Tomorrowland minute 60. Rather than like minute 90. Right. So when Rafi Cassidy's taking her in the car, she takes her to her house where she has the doomsday clock that she's pirating the signal off of. She yep. essentially is Frank in this whole section. Sure. I've been living here off the grid. I'm a robot. They kicked me out of Tomorrowland. Yeah, that's a good pitch. I have a chip on my shoulder and yep. I'm trying to get someone to get me back in. Right. The Dave Clark five, which is a clever gag. Yeah. He's, I mean, that actor, uh, Matthew McCall. Okay. Love him. Yeah. I mean, just his like face and his yeah. weird smile. He's the weird robot who's like, hi, Oh, I'm here to okay. take care of this situation. And they vaporize the cops. Yeah. Ding dong. Oh, jeez. Oh, it's the other bell. Weird. Yeah. The one that occasionally rings. I installed two doorbells. You know, we, we're, we're Lux over here. We have two doorbells. I'm opening the door. Wait Great. a second. What's that music? Oh! Oh my, hello. Hey. You've brought an original score with you. That's right. I always make an entrance. I'm vaping bad. <laughs> He's for the listener at home. This man is vaping. Oh, that is really good unicorn milk. A unicorn milk? That's the flavor of this awesome rig I got from eliquid.com. Oh, I've heard of eliquid.com. They they have a large selection of liquid, of hardware, of replacement coils, vape accessories, DIY supplies, all that stuff. That's right. You can replenish your favorite e-liquid, try something new, maybe grab a starter kit, or just treat yourself to an upgrade, oh, my dude. You're a little upgraded right now, Vaping Ben. Uh, hold on one second. <sighs> you, you, you really exhale, like, loud. Like, you're, like, geyser-like. Sorry. That's just how I live now. All right. Well, do you also live in a way where, like, shopping for vapes are simpler simpler than ever? Like, you don't have to leave the house. You don't have to go to the store. You can just go to eLiquid.com. Uh, yes. And I'm going to tell you about my experience shopping on eLiquid.com. Cool. Because it's really changed. I am not a vapor. You are the vapor of, of the Blank Check crew. Yes. Yes. 100% love vaping, love vaporwave, all that stuff. So, <laughs> eLiquid, what it does is it provides you with a, a huge quantity of different brand name that you can trust. Sure. 
They offer, of course, you know, I'm a wet guy. They've got a ton of e-liquid available, right? Mm-hmm. And these mm-hmm. are basically the different kinds of oils that you would then put into your rig or your product, sure. your vaping device. Yep. They also then offer a wide selection of different kinds of, you know, again, inside people know. It's Please. called the rig. I, I had no idea. This is some Mad Max hey, stuff. Sorry. It's called the rig. He's... He, vaping Ben is sort of jauntily like holding his mouth up to his hand. Okay. I so say vape accessories. They got about 44,000 items in stock. I'm they told. have a ton of stuff. And the thing is, too, is they got repair kits. They've got all kinds of accessories. So this is like a one-stop shop for any of our listeners out there that are are into vape life. Vape life. That vape life. Yup. So you yep, went to eliquid.com, yep. you got a bunch of stuff? Oh, for sure. What'd you get? So I mentioned I got the unicorn milk, which right. is a flavor by Cutwood e-liquids. All right. Uh, actually, I got some, you know, the website too is really easy to use. Uh, I'll just read some of the other uh, recommended for you flavors that come up just looking at the website for you, here. Yes, for vaping. Yeah, so bad. there's Alien Piss by Bomb Sauce e-liquid. Uh, there's <laughs> Orgasm by One Up Vapor. Uh, and then there's TNT by Time Bombs Vapor. So this is a prominent subculture in America right now. It's it, basically the culture. Now, I also... Alien piss. Yeah, alien piss. Uh, now, I also recommend... Uh, this is also a fun way for you to start maybe making smoke uh, art-like videos or like smoke trick videos. Maybe if people out there are into that. Right. Well, anyway, let's uh, let's give our listeners uh, uh, the special offer, um, David. Uh, yes, well, if you go to eliquid.com slash check, that's E-L-I-Q-U-I-D dot com slash check, you're going to get 20% off your first purchase. You just have to use the promo code check during checkout. You go to uh, eliquid.com slash check. And, um, you know, you're going to have a great time over at eliquid.com. They got atomizers. They got batteries. They got... Uh, replacement coils tanks what's a tank well that's like that's where it houses the oil oil. yeah all right so anyway you know apparently the the website's got uh easy to navigate menus i'm told that they've got fast shipping same day if you order by 2 p.m pst that's excluding um arkansas washington and utah interesting All all right guys yeah well best in class customer service they can help you monday through saturday it's a it's a very uh upscale website that was just a, uh, a really great part in the song oh yeah fair, fair enough vaping Ben uh, so again uh, guys for 20% off your first purchase visit eliquid.com slash check yep. that's e-l-i-q-u-i-d dot com slash check and use promo code check during checkout alright so uh, I'm going to uh, leave you with this. Okay. Uh, I'm going to make uh, actually, um, uh, uh, should, all right, you know what? I'll make a unicorn for you out of smoke. I, I, it's prancing across the room. Griffin is just stunned into silence. I Thank you for visiting us, Vaping Ben. Can we have regular Ben back now? Purdue Ben? Okay. Okay, here he is. All right. What a guy. I really think he's cool. Yeah, no, you know, he's up your alley.
This movie is violent, by yeah, the way. Super violent. <laughs> yeah, yes. But they but it's robot violence, which is so smart. But they do vaporize some people. hundred percent. Yeah. Uh the 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 bad robots, yeah. the creepy ass smile. Yeah. The bad robot, is this a JJ Abrams one? Keep talking, man. Uh, but yeah, it was really disconcerting. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was love effective. It. And I, was, I love all, like their heads popping off, or when they like get punched, and then they have like a weird like dent the in their bat face. Head, yeah, whole, like, oh. face is like knocked in. You have one minute to you know <laughs> right, like, just right. that smile. And it's so deranged. This whole booby trap sequence where they're like, you keep on establishing new devices, like that weird that. portal thing. Uh, I, I like the um the little laser grid that like chops them into little bits, like Me in too, the hallway. The magnets on the walls. That shit's fun. But man. she's stuck because the hand all this stuff I would have all this stuff happen with Athena but, and, but this well for one I think they they're desperate to get Clooney into the picture obviously right. they need him there two they they do need a big action set piece and yeah. so here that is and I think they just want him active you know they want him involved so ready for this Athena gets her through the house they get in the bathtub they go to the Eiffel Tower right you do all this stuff but you cut the time it's just the sort of like action of it because yeah. you don't have to have a lot of arguing yeah you know, Athena, in case you're on the same point, at this at this point in the story, they're at the same... I, I, why am I not speaking Oh, correctly? my God. What's happening? Yes, we get it. They okay. get to Tomorrowland, uh-huh. and here comes George Clooney in his long coat. Right. Hi, I was an optimistic kid once like you. Right. I took over Tomorrowland. So you're saying the crux of the movie is now turning him around. Correct. Rather than having him say to Hugh Laurie, I've been turned around yes. by her. Right. And Laurie being like, well, I mean, I guess I could spend the next 25 minutes explaining everything to you, but right. I'm not going to be turned around. Clooney was her. He rose no, through I get the it. ranks. I get it. I get he it. He invented the clock. Right. Because this is the crux of this movie. He invents the crux a clock. The crux of the movie anyway. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that he's able to look anywhere in the world at any point in time and is able to go forward. So he sees when right. the world's going to end. And at this point, Tomorrowland freaks out. They kick him out forever. He's got chip on his shoulder. They kick Athene out as well because she tries to defend him, I yeah. guess. And uh, they just go, well, let's just count out the days. Mm-hmm. Whittle it down to a skeleton crew, steal the Mona Lisa, yeah. keep ourselves here. But let's not maintain it at all. Let's let it look really shitty. Which is doesn't really explain. Right. What is that? I like, Where do they live? I do, what do they do? What do they eat? How many people are there? 80? I don't fucking know. A it thousand? drives me crazy. Right. All the explanation that Hugh Laurie does, he never says like, and now we live here and like, you know, we live over there and it's cool. We like no one ages. Do they have babies? What is happening? <laughs> he mentions the drinking chocolate his shake. chocolate shake, which yeah. I guess keeps him immortal yeah, or whatever. Right. Comes in chocolate now. Um, I think minute 60, you get here, you get to Clooney. Clooney gives the one big speech where he's like, look, kid, I was like you. I believed in all this. Let me show you the device. There's 62 days left. Right. He shows her the Congratulations. monitor. You made it. Join me here. We'll wait out the rest he of the time. He shows her the monitor, which is this thing, which right. I like. Again, I like the design. Yes. I like the weird red ball. You know? Yeah, me too. And he's like, look, see, we look into the future and it's all, you know, right. 100% chance of destruction. And she's like, well, I, I think if you know that, that's a, that's fatalistic. And instead, you know, we can still do it. And then it flickers. Right. And he's like, well, beautiful. But then, of course, here are some problems. Beautiful. Then here's some problems. Yeah. You don't have a villain. So what's the rest of the movie? Um, you know, you do sure. have to deal with that. You need some kind of like climax. I, I think I, I think it, rather than being a villain movie, it is an obstacle movie. Right. That's fine. But then I think Disney is quaking a little bit. But I mean, I think they kind of mess it up anyway, because right. the end of the movie 
has a very weak villain. Nix and is barely a villain. I know. Right. Well, but then, I'm, so I'm getting mentioned. Out, but, yeah, until um, he gives that one speech. Right. Right. I'm getting to that. But also, you know, the movie does have like um, some uh, set pieces at the end, you know, which clearly it just sort of feels like it needs to have set pieces at the end. Right. Like robots fighting and it has the death of Athena, you know. But but so maybe you, all that's harder to crowbar in. I know? mean, this would be the scarier thing to them is to kind of make Clooney the villain. But you go like he comes, he shows him around, right? And it's just like, look, we're committed to this. And she's like, I got a solution. And he's like, oh, okay. And he's humoring her until Athena and Casey figure out, oh, he's doing this on purpose. Right. Oh, so you're saying he stays the villain. I'm saying they ultimately have to convert him. Yeah, but if he's been doing it on purpose, that's you can't come back from that. It's too evil. Well, I think the other part of it is. <laughs> yeah. And I think this whole plot line works better if Clooney is the villain. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think you essentially make him Darth Vader. <laughs> Darth Vader, fairly have, evil. You let him have the redemption at the very end. Upset that what you're now proposing is a, is like a huge restructuring right. of the movie. That I, that would never happen. But, but it only, it's interesting to talk about. It only changes from minute fifty five on. I, I know what you're saying it's just yeah right. Yeah. Um, but but it's the same thing where like the big thing that really crushes optimism. Uh huh. More than anything else is that this robot girl didn't love him back. Right. right. This movie's very caught up on this Lolita thing. <laughs> Which is very bizarre where it's like he had this formative relationship that he couldn't live out. As a child. Like, right. As a child. Right, yes, right. Yes. But in the way that Lolita, it's like set up that it's like he couldn't get over that relationship when he was 13. Uh, yeah, I know. You I know? know. I know. And Athena represents like, it's all really weird. Yeah. yeah. But Athena represents like the lost optimism of believing that things are possible. Right. And he's this guy who went irate and started like becoming fatalistic because this robot girl okay. couldn't laugh at his jokes. Can I say something? Yeah. We actually should talk about what the movie actually is about, though. Because now we're so deep in your pitch. I agree. Right. Yeah. Okay, so let's get back I on to that. But, but I do think... It's an interesting pitch. And I think that ending is more effective if it's Clooney going like, I know what I have to do. I have to blow up the robot girl and save humanity. But why does he have to blow her up? Because she's the self-destruct that's able to uh, create enough damage to kill the antenna. Yeah, I, that's hard to buy. That's but, what it is in the movie. I know, but it's hard to buy in the movie because you're like, it's fucking Tomorrowland. You're immortal. You can't build a bomb. Like, what are you talking about? They don't about? have enough time. Yeah, they don't have enough time. I um, think symbolically that actually works. Well, so the the movie's pitch instead yes. is here you have Clooney. Yeah. He was part of the Tomorrowland brain trust. Now he's converted, but he's still a grump. He got kicked out because he wasn't as into their whole, well, the world's fucked anyway. Let's just right. close all the doors. Right. Um. But he is a grump. Right. I mean, as you might be if you got kicked out of paradise. We have 20 minutes of them fighting as they go through. Here's how we get through the house. The bathtub to the secret hut where we take the powder and bandage our eyes. And then the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Oh, my God. All of that. I was like, how many more forms of transportation are they going to take Which, before again, they get to tomorrow? Why is this movie killing time? I don't know. Keep it moving. Like yeah. I think this stuff is fun. But if it was happening faster... It's when this is being intercut with arguments about whether or not what they're trying to do is futile gets frustrating. Or lean into it. It would have been yeah. funny if they were like, they, they get out of the pond, then they get on a train, then they're on right. a plane, you know, and then sure. they're like, I don't know, on a blimp, and but, then they get in a rocket ship. Yeah, they're on a blimp. But that's like, <laughs> I love it. You, a Zeppelin. You do a six minute montage with all the steps. Right. And at this point, everyone should just be on board with what they're doing. Like, they should be into it. We're going to fucking save the day. They get to Tomorrowland right. at minute 90. <laughs> In this movie. Right. Yeah. And when they arrive, Hugh Laurie's like, hey, what's up? What are you doing here? Yeah. And it's shitty. It sucks. 
It's empty. Which you think if they want to live there forever, they try to, right. This is what doesn't, I mean, I mean, they, again, a, also, a, I think Bird is saying that though, where yeah. it's like, right, you can't have paradise if it's just like your chosen few, you know? And, right. and he also says like, well, you know, the grass and everything, like who needs that it was taking up time and energy. It's like, they start becoming so didactic that they have a milked all joy and wonder out of yes. this environment. It sort of right. looks like the Javits Center now. <laughs> That's what it looks like. <laughs> the site of one of the worst nights of your life. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's not revisit that. No. Yeah. That's yeah. when Hillary lost and we live in a nightmare. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, Hugh Laurie was right. Let's be clear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> His little weird ball machine was right. The worst night of your life when you were at the Javits Center and then got a text from us saying, maybe we shouldn't record the man who knew too little tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you yeah. remember that night where we were just like, we can't fucking talk about this movie tomorrow? Yep. Donald Trump is the president. Yep. It was just a sea, people of color, women, just... All right, wait, I said that, I said we weren't revisiting it. No, I just... Um, <laughs> now he's in it. Ben's got this thousand-yard stare. This oh. is Ben's Athena robot. This is the thing he can't get over. So what Nix tells them is, right, yeah. we've got this machine, and it tells us the world is ending. Right. So It's too late. And uh, after a little while, yeah. the thing that... Um, Casey figures out yeah. that Frank has maybe been too close to it to figure out. It's like, yeah. it's not just that the machine says the world is ending. They've been broadcasting it into all of right. our brains. It becomes almost a positive thinking sort of idea yeah. of like, if everyone thinks the world's going to end, then the world's going to end. Right. It's fatalism. Right. And Hugh Laurie admits it where he's like, yeah, man, we were trying to warn everyone. Yeah. And goes on this very specific rant mm -hmm. where he's like, and instead of like taking up action and going to their politicians and going up. to their captains of industry, they've turned it into video games and movies and like all this apocalyptic talk, you know? Right. And so they're just resigned to it. Right. And one, as you're listening to him talk, you get really bummed out yep. because you think about this way of the world. Yeah. And you're kind of like, yeah, fuck, I don't know. Like that's, and I don't think that's what the movie wants. What the movie wants you to do yeah. is go like, yeah, fuck this guy. He's right. an asshole. Right. Like, yeah, he, we just, you know, he's just encouraging negative thinking. Right. Uh, and I, that's not how I feel. And here's what, what I want to say. Yeah. I talked to Lindelof mm -hmm. about this movie. Humble Brack. It was a Humble Brack. It was yeah. great. It wasn't, it's just a Brack. Sure. And I asked him about this movie and he said, I will never do what happened on that movie again. Which is? What happened was I wrote that script and it got greenlit right away, which yeah. had never happened to me before. Usually that shit just takes a long time. Yeah. And instead they were like, we love this and we're going to move on this now. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously it took a while to make the fucking sure, thing. Sure, sure. And he said, and it was a real problem because I had gotten a green light from HBO and The Leftovers at the same basic time. Mm -hmm. And so for the first time in my life, I had these two really big projects running simultaneously and I was spread way too thin between yeah. them. And he's like, and, that, and he sort of implied, like, that's why I think season one of The Leftovers is kind of a mess and why I think that movie is kind of a mess. Mm -hmm. But another thing he's talked about extensively is yeah. that he was in a really deep depressive funk when he wrote The Leftovers season one, which is like one of the bleakest seasons of TV sure. ever made. Mm -hmm. This movie isn't maybe quite as bleak, but yeah. it's still very, it has a very fatalistic look at where we are as a society. And I think right. Lindelof just needed to cheer up a little bit before he wrote this optimistic movie. Sure. But I also, I feel like not to keep on harping on oh, this, God. right? But um, He's harping on something. I'm, I'm going to harp. Oh, boy. Marshall Lucas. I No, I think at this point, I mean, Marshall Lucas is responsible for Star Wars. Yeah. But I think at this point, 
the thing that would make the movie feel cathartic is if you were able to change that person's mind rather than it turning into a fight to destroy the technology. Sure. Destroying but, the technology is just kind of like, okay, well, now it's just any third act denouement. Yeah. Um, I, I think if the guy in there wasn't such a bummer, if it was Clooney, if you had the prologue where you I knew— think you're, I, I think your point is interesting. Right? It's a good pitch. Because I think it should be about—what what I think this movie is trying to get at and is maybe the only justification for Casey being that young— mm-hmm is that it's the gulf between when you are a child and you think anything is possible right. yeah. and when you're an adult and you come up against— and you think nothing is possible. Right. Yeah. Like, really, you right. think nothing is possible. Right. So you're you just start, like, this is the way of the world. You start a movie essentially with two stories that seem the same, a little boy in the 60s and a girl in the 2010s. Your pitch is good. Thank you. Although I do think Disney would have balked at it, obviously. But yes, yeah. your pitch is good. But instead, the movie's idea is— no, a mind was changed. Yeah. Athena's mind. Sure. In the 60s. That's the movie's pitch. Right. That's that's that literally is it, right? Is She's weird. like yeah. you may have sort of lost hope and they yeah. may have lost hope, but you changed my mind and that's yeah. why I kept up my my mission. Right. Right. In this he, like incredibly long monologue. He had the impact. Right. Um I don't know. I just feel I, I feel like Casey and Frank are redundancies. Like I feel like it has I, to be about one of the two of I them. I get your point. You know what I'm saying? But, but, I but think, even them being united, it's kind of like they're they cute te- when they're united. Once they team with Frank, though, it's like they're cute. What's Frank getting her that Athena wasn't? Cute. Yeah. Clooney. Yeah. Uh, it's just so weird. Like by the time Clooney enters, you're like, oh right, George Clooney. He's the guy above the title. On it is this a movie. little surprising that George Clooney's in this movie. Like he doesn't. Yeah. He's not in it that much. I'll consider it. Well, once he's in it, once he's, he's really in it, in he's it. in it the yeah. whole time. Right. Um. Like I'm sure he worked hard in this movie. Like yeah, you know, it's it's not like a. And he's in a Whatever. lot of set pieces. Exactly. Yeah. I think for a more minor fix, like mm-hmm. if you just had that Athena stuff sing a little more and spread it out a little more yeah. rather than when she's dying, she's like, before I die, I have to tell you something talks for eight minutes. You know what I mean? Like then maybe it would hit a little harder, but that's another like Lindelof thing where it's like hint, 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 right, hint, right, hint, right. hint. And then he's like, Oh shit. Uh, here it is. You know, like, uh, he like hands you a, a briefcase full of papers, you know? And you I, have to read this really fast. Right. I feel like it's equivalent to like when I would not write my school papers and yeah. I would be like, hey, I had a printer problem, but like I'm telling you, this is my take. It's really good. And I would talk up how good that paper was. And by the time I handed it in, they were like, this is not good enough to justify the fact that it's five weeks late. Uh-huh. You know? And the Lindelof structure of like – and there are a lot of things I love about Lindelof. But this is certainly – everyone agrees that if he has a problem, it is this. He keeps on promising so much delayed satisfaction – that by the point you get there, you never feel fully satisfied no. because your expectations have gotten yeah, you're like, so high. Oh. Wait till you read my will. It's so good. You're right. going to love my will. <laughs> right. Oh, that's going to blow your mind. Right. <laughs> like, even if it's exactly what you wanted it to be, at this point, you've also spent hours going like, but it could be this or that or that. And to have it only be one thing is disappointing. And there's a lot of this, like a character starts explaining something and then they're cut off and you wait 20 minutes for another character yep. to pick it up. Yep. Which is frustrating. I think that stuff, I think it should have been more upfront with what Tomorrowland is, how it's created, all that sort of stuff. I think it does need that Jurassic Park video. What do you think about Athena's death scene in which George Clooney is asked to cry over his lost love, a 10-year-old girl, finally admitting that she loves him back and he made her more human? I think that scene would work if he was the bad guy. Maybe. I mean, that's, I think it actually. Because then it's like, he's a fucking guy who couldn't get over this. I, all right. And turn You've him made evil. your pitch. My yeah. God. I'm just As asking about the, the scene. I, 
I really admire I think the audacity that scene is of kind of good. I do too. Yeah. And here's we got to talk about this, and you're Uh-oh. gonna hate it. Uh oh. We got to talk about the captain. Uh, the captain. Colin Trevorrow. Oh, we do. We do. <laughs> I forgot that I called him the captain. Right. Ben is leaving the studio. I'm going. No, I have to go pee. <laughs> okay, go pee. We got, um, we got to talk about the captain because this is where the captain yeah. rises to power. He's too good a filmmaker, though. He's too good. Oh, Brad shit. Bird has turned down Star Wars. Right. Candy Candy goes, is there no way you can do it? Yeah. Sure. We wouldn't come out until maybe. Because this movie came both. out the same year as Force Awakens. Right. Can you yeah. push it back? This right. and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, I got half an idea. Uh-huh. What if I was working on Tomorrowland and I had someone working as a surrogate to run through pre-production on Star Wars? And then I came over to Star Wars and he was my surrogate on post-production on Tomorrowland. Sure. And for a week or two, they attempt to do that wow. with a guy that Brad Bird says reminds me of me. Yeah. At that age. Yeah. This is if I had to bet someone was the well, next Brad Bird, it would be. The captain himself, Colin Trevor. Well, you can, even though I don't like safety not guaranteed, yeah. you can see why a director like Brad Bird or anyone who came up in the sort of yeah. Amblin era would look at that movie and be like, oh, this guy's on the right track. And he also, when you read interviews with we him. We all like to shit on that movie now, and I never liked it, but plenty of people like the movie. Yes, like, 100%. You know, yeah. Right. But you and I were right at the time, and everyone else is Of course, now we're smart, and we're the smartest of them all, and we're big special boys. It's actually insane how big, special, and smart we are. Um, I'm five foot six. So. <laughs> I I feel like he also is really good at impersonating the kind of strong-minded, hyper-passionate filmmaker that Brad Bird is when he talks about film. Yeah, okay, sure. Yes, right? yes, yeah. He's like good on a panel. Right. Or at least was. I feel like people are sort of sick of his shit. Right. So they pretty quickly realize this isn't going to work. Yeah. But Kathy Kennedy is so impressed with this that she goes to her husband, Frank Marshall, nudges him in bed mm-hmm. and goes, hey, you know that new Jurassic uh, Park movie NSFW. you're looking for? Well, listen to this. Uh-huh. And holds up the phone to Colin Trevorrow. Right. Um, wow, she kept Brad Bird on the phone through her having sex with Frank Marshall? Yes. Right. I mean, I wouldn't say they're having sex. They're making love. Uh, you're a good point. They're, you know, they've been together for decades at this point. Right. It's love more than sex. Where was I going to go with this? I don't. I have no idea. There's she a reason I had to invoke the captain. You wanted to invoke the captain. I don't know why. You worked on Tomorrowland? Hey, Ben, let's 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 uh, take a break for a second. Talk about simple contacts. OK, if you wear contact lenses and you find yourself dreading the annual appointment you got to make to renew your subscription, you're going to love simple contacts. It's a great new company makes the whole annoying process very simple. Simple contacts lets you renew your expired contact lens subscription and reorder your brand of lenses from your phone or computer in minutes. I mean, I simple contacts. They just. Bring the doctor's office to wherever you are, wherever you need it. You can take the vision test online in five minutes. A real doctor will review it, and they renew your prescription. Uh, You save money. You save time. You save yourself a headache, especially a headache due to vision problems from not updating your prescription. Sure. And if you have an unexpired prescription, you just upload a photo of it or your doctor's info, and you order the lenses right away in a minute for a great price, and they do all the hard work for you. It's the 21st century. Just come to vision care. Simple Contacts offers every brand of lenses and their prices are unbeatable. Vision test is just $20. Compare that with an annual appointment, which can be up to $250 without insurance. Yep. So that's a big uh, big money saving. For sure. Uh, they have some of the best prices on contacts and shipping is free. Best of all, our listeners get $30 off their first 
simple contacts order right to save $30 on your lenses you just go to simple.contacts.com slash blank or you enter the code blank at checkout that's simplecontacts.com slash blank and I want to mention this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam you want to do that occasionally but if you just need to review a prescription and reorder your contacts this is the most convenient way to do it especially if your vision hasn't changed again Check out Simple Contacts and get $30 off by going to simplecontacts.com slash blank or just enter promo code blank at checkout. Give it a try and thank us later. Ben's re-entered the studio. You got me, man. I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. I don't know. Cut all this out. <laughs> yeah, well, you, wait, you, you were like, David, we've got to do it. We've got to talk about the captain. We're talking about the captain. But I mean, but you, you surely you had a reason. I did have a reason, and I'll remember it. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> Fucking idiot. <laughs> An embarrassment to society. That's all right. And we're back. Um, the movie's fin- finale set piece involves some robots fighting. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, I know exactly what I was going to say. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Here's the fundamental difference between the captain and Brad Bird. Sure. Colin Trevorrow would come up with a scene like this. George Clooney crying as he holds the robot 10-year-old before he uses her as a bomb to explode the device that he made that makes humanity want to kill themselves. He would go, what's the most fucked up crazy thing that you wouldn't expect to see in a movie like this? Brad Bird follows a plot to its logical endpoint, even if that endpoint is insane and doesn't back down from it. Okay. So on one hand, it's not like this is a crazy left turn for the movie because the whole movie's been building up to it. Right. But you also go, geez, how did they design a movie that builds up to this? Right. Like, how did he follow a movie to this end point and go like, yeah, we shouldn't look at the beginning again. This this makes sense that this is how the film ends. Uh-huh. But I do think Clooney, as I said before we start recording, weaves through these traffic cones pretty well as a performer. He's really— This scene should be uh, very uncomfortable. It should be, and he's really—yeah, he's really invested in this scene. And I think he solves that it's more about him saying goodbye to the resentment he's held on to since childhood rather than literally a robot that he wants to fuck. He's also an actor who is famously good at acting opposite children. He did it for years on ER where he played a pediatrician. He knows from child actors. Suburbicon, which is a movie I do not like, has a terrific kid performance Good kid, bad part. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like, I mean, the kid is just on the Coen brothers part of the movie, which yeah. is the better part. Sure. And he's just a good kid. Like he's yeah. just, he can turn on like the fear right away. Like he's good. He's good like kid. a good talented kid. kid part. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think if, I, I don't think any of his other movies have kids in them that he directed, you know, but, uh, uh, Leatherhead Babies. Have you ever seen Leatherhead Babies? That was more of a series. I mean, that's an animated series. I don't know if he was directing the vocal performances. Yeah, maybe he was. Leatherhead Babies is fun. Um, so then uh, they blow up the antenna. Yes, and then we get this lovely coda of them being like back at the talking to the camera right. and being like, so it's a year later and the world never ended and we are working on getting Tomorrowland and opening up, up to the people. Yes. So they open the doors and they invite the great thinkers or the you see this fucking Benetton ad of like every single like a cool guitarist and I'm, like I'm a, a fucking sap. I'm sentimental as shit. This thing works for me so hard. This ending gives me fucking goosebumps. It, we, it's good, although I have questions. Like, can anyone come to Tomorrowland? Is it still a closed place? Like, that's my only question. They're giving They're opening the doors, but they're still inviting people. So is it like I think they're is opening the doors to fix it. I don't think it is. Okay. Because I think that's the fundamental difference in this, right? What, what I've been trying to parse of how I think Brad Bird is misread. Yeah. 
is that he believes in exceptionalism, but exceptionalism is that the exceptional people can make things better it's for Galt's others. Gulch, isn't it? It's not Grant's Gulch. I don't know. I haven't read Atlas Galt's, Shrugged. It's Galt's Gulch. Sorry. Okay. Anyway, yeah, because it's John Galt. Who is John Galt? That's right. what Atlas Shrugged is about. I don't know who is John Galt. He, he's um, Christopher Paloa. Oh, cool. <laughs> in in those movies. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's his delineation is let exceptional people be exceptional so they can help the others. Mm-hmm. The reason why he hates Nick's is that Nick's thinks they haven't earned it. They yes, don't deserve absolutely, it. Absolutely. They made their own bed. Right. And I think Brad Bird does believe if you have that kind of power, even if people don't know what's good for them, it's on you to help them. What do you think of Nick's death? I mean, it's a very nineties action movie where it goes like, yeah. Oh, bollocks yeah. before he dies. You know how you know this movie's expensive? It's very Eddie Izzard in the Avengers, not the Marvel one. Yes. You know how you know this movie's expensive? No. That they actually like went to the Bahamas for that two-second gag where they, they fall through the portal. Yeah. Damn. Like flew the entire above-the-line crew and cast out to the Bahamas right. to do that like two shots on the beach. Uh, if that. Yeah. yeah right. They shot in Vancouver, Florida, and the Bahamas. Uh, okay. Um... <laughs> But this ending, you know, where I, I guess the idea is, I, I think they want to make it a place where everyone can come, but I think they also want to just rebuild it first. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they see her letting her family and Tim McGraw gets to come. Right. When you say Tim McGraw, you know. You think family. We have so many questions about what is happening with this movie yes. that it sort of makes me want to shut down. Oh, sure. Yeah. To do the Athena thing where yeah. you're just like. Yeah, I'm like at a point where I'm just like, I don't know, good. Uh, I do think it's interesting how long and exposition heavy this movie is and how much it struggles to set up some of its like big concepts. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also a movie about that's so heavily inspired by Epcot. Yes. Not the theme park, but like um, the planned city that Walt Disney was like, uh, I mean, can I talk about it for five minutes? It's fucking nuts. Like, do you know about it? Like, you know, he buys all this land in Florida Mm -hmm. through like dummy corporations. He doesn't do it like regular right you know it's like he sort of secretly designs this like planned community and, and what were those purchases what was the name that those purchases were made on the florida project thank you uh and uh yeah he works with sean baker and yeah. he's first he's gonna do this movie about like no and what else friend mooney uh yeah exactly no and it's like in the last year of his life essentially walt mm-hmm. disney's like Theme park, forget theme park. That theme park's right up. It's in the corner. Who cares? Yeah, it's the money maker. Theme I'm gonna city. Build a city. It's a circle. The people live on the outside. The yeah. roads are all underground. There's monorails everywhere. Yeah. Everyone, no one is allowed to own property. Everyone rents. I own the property because then I can swap in and out stuff. Like when the futuristic shit comes and no one can like you know like. He's like building like a panopticon for everyone to live in. Yeah. And he's like, and it's going to happen. It's going to happen. He dies of lung cancer. Right. And Disney's like, um, Fox and we, the Hound. We, we want to put that money into Fox and the Hound instead. They're, they're literally like, we, we love Walt's vision and yeah, passion look, for the Walt future. Here. We all love Walt here, So we obviously. decided to make Epcot, which is like a sort of future theme park with a big sphere. Yeah. And I do think it's funny that the evil machine in this looks like that fucking sphere at Epcot. Yes. It's, I don't know if that's intentional or not. I don't know either. But um, that is like the, the notion this movie is fighting is this sense of a future we lost, right? 
because that was the the 50s and 60s are the point in time where there's a lot of sort of gazing and going like, what's it going to be like? Yeah. And people today, you always hear the complaint like, why why did we get the future people said we were going to have like 50, 60 years ago? And you look around us in terms of technology, we pretty much have it. Sure. Everything we no jetpacks though. Which, because you can't regulate that. I've always said we're, we're, we're not going to have flying cars and we're not going to have jetpacks because that's a nightmare. Sure. But it's not that that technology doesn't exist. Jetpacks. No one wants to open that Pandora's box, right? The thing we've missed out on is that feeling of the utopian future. Sure. Not just having the technology, but somehow that kind of leveling out but human it, civilization. It's always been a lie. Like it's, it's a future that's bland and homogenous, and it's a future that keeps undesirable people out. Like, 100%. So much of Disney's concept of Epcot was yeah. like, I hate how all the cities have slums. My yeah. city won't have a slum because it'll be illegal to have a yeah. slum. Walt Disney. Right. You know, like. Right. I want to make the perfect city. <laughs> Jetpacks, moving walkways, zero Jews. It's the city of the future. Really? It's 100%, which is like the difficult stuff this movie's dealing with. There's no better example of that where he was like, cars are disgusting. You do need cars to bring in. They're the Jews of the road. (laughs) You do need cars to bring in goods. So it has to happen underground where no one can see. Like, you know, he just buries the things he doesn't want. Like, you know, to spoil his perfect vision of the future. First of all, cars, wow, Mater. Second of all. That is also how the theme parks run, where it's like the employees are going to yes. walk in tunnels underground, so yes. we don't have to see them taking poops. Right, because it's a magic world, and right, exactly. Right. You should never think of this place as being run. You can't you see know. the strings, but like, there's no way for that to function without creating an underclass that doesn't get any of the benefits of this future but, world. And right, and that's what Epcot was going to be. Is like, well, that's where the underclass can live. Perfect. Yeah. You can't own it. And the reason yeah. why <laughs> this idea is so preposterous, too, is that cities exist with an infrastructure that's already built. Sure. Yeah. And his idea is that lock it all down, redo it correctly. Right, yeah, exactly. Like, it's I'm so the infrastructure. Yeah. New York Look. City, listen. Hey, the, the subway system is ancient. Yeah. The design of a lot of the of Manhattan and Brooklyn doesn't yeah. make any sense because yeah. it was made when people are horse and, and buggies. But that doesn't yeah. mean you can knock it all over and reset it. That's why well, I, I think this movie has to be and it's sort of the conflict, if you will, is not them defeating a villain. It's sure. an intellectual debate about oh, what is possible. Did you have some kind of pitch on how to change the movie? Yeah. Uh, you make wait. Rick Flag the lead character. <laughs> I just think it's interesting that it's tapping into so much of what you're talking about, the yeah. retrofuturism. And that's it's squidgy stuff. You know, it's there, not easy to grapple with that There's a hook there that is interesting and is also unique, which is why I think Disney greenlit it so fast, which is like, what happened to the future of yesterday? Mm-hmm. And why did we stop thinking that good things were going to happen? And when it's singing, I'm so into Me it. Too. And it is, at, like, a lot of the time. Right. But it kind of can't get out of its own way, and it can't really untangle its own thoughts. Uh, right. And it has this sort of, like, reactionary streak that a lot of Birds movies do. Yeah. That is... Uh, really interesting yeah. and he makes passionate arguments but then when you think about them you're like wait wait a second do I actually like think this is on the level like I don't know yeah I want the movie to be that debate though like no, I don't want sure. to have an answer I want it to be like and the ending should be very clearly Casey is opening the doors up to everyone because right. the only way we're going to save the world is if here's a a, a blank right. slate here's a new city 
let's lead with the people who are innovators, right. whether they be street musicians or mailmen no, or elephant studiers. My question is, right, we're not seeing the scene where they're like, hmm, we don't have enough immortality shakes for everyone. Right. So I guess we have to decide who gets one. Like, you know, like, is that happening? My pitch is is that, not my pitch, but my read, what I want to believe they're doing at the end, because I don't want to be fatalistic about yeah, this ending, that's fine. is that they're like, we're going to go in waves. Yeah, we're going to sure. start with guys studying elephants. And then we'll move our way down the chart. But I just think that montage of all the pins just like gets it's me. It's good. I it mean, taps it, into it is a bit Benetton. It, and it feels a little Super Bowl commercial too, where it's for like sure. at right. the end it ends up right. being they a all, Coke ad, but it does drinking Budweiser, make you yes. feel okay about humanity for like 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of the weird thing about this movie. Like he's very angry about the fact that people aren't happy. Like it's an angry movie about like, why aren't you optimistic? <laughs> and it's like, stop yelling at me. And the whole movie is people getting grumpy about the fact that we're not positive. Everyone in this movie is so fucking grumpy. Yeah. Even, yeah, everyone's grumpy. Except and that's for what's Raffy. crazy is the original cut, Casey was even grumpier. Yeah. And then wow. they were like, oh, she should be a little optimistic. And it's like, yeah, it's a fucking premise of your movie. <laughs> So, Tomorrowland. Yeah, we're gonna play the box office. Game. I, I give it a gentleman's B plus. Just Me too. I, I give like it a so seven. much of what it's doing. Me too. I love it visually, and it has some uh, stunning sequences. It's a great failure, but I can, it's one of those great failures. But I cannot. Right, every time I rewatch it, this yeah. is. I think. Well, maybe this was only my second viewing of it. I think this I caught like half viewing. of it on HBO. Yeah. One point. I'm like. Right. No, no, there are problems. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you can sort of inflate it in your head. and like yeah. I, I want to believe it just works. It, it, it is, A.O. Scott in his review was like, this is the most frustrating kind of failure because it is. Yes, A.O. Scott's review of this is yeah. really on yeah. point. You should read it. But it's it's just like, this is really smart people with really interesting ideas at the top of their craft who cannot make it connect. And A.O. Scott is kind of like, he had written a very definitive review of Ratatouille that yeah. I did. I felt like helped people realize like, you know, not film critic people, but you know, right. Right, like, but Brad Bird is a very serious artist, like yeah. a serious American artist. Which forever, it was just like, I, I feel like even at the time of Ratatouille, to the general public, it was like, that's Pixar. Pixar is a yeah. machine. It doesn't matter who's directing these things. And he was trying to really like start the Brad Bird auteur narrative, yeah. which also helped because he had one pre-Pixar movie, which which the other Pixar guys didn't have. Mm -hmm. Mission Impossible is part of a bigger franchise, and that's not like his script. He doesn't have the same kind of stamp on it. This felt like, I think, to us, to like hardcore bird heads, like this is the chance for Brad Bird to show I'm a big, serious filmmaker with like a fun piece of pop entertainment, but something that is my story, live action, you can't discount it. And it's so frustrating to see him like fucking strike out and then have to go back and do Incredibles 2. I hope Incredibles 2 is great. Get ready I'm for that excited next that Incredibles 2 exists. Sure. I hope our next episode is the most positive one we've done yet. Sure. And I hope he gets to do another live action movie We've after done this. some pretty positive episodes in this miniseries. Yeah. Because yeah. guess what? Good filmmaker. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. All right. This movie came out Memorial Day weekend 2015. Okay. May 22nd. Yeah. Big Four weekend. day weekend. Right. Tomorrowland opens to $42 million. And I think they said they wanted like 70 and anything below 50 was a disaster. <laughs> Uh, it costs, like we said, two hundred. Uh, it ends up grossing ninety three domestic, mm -hmm. two oh nine worldwide. Not good. No good. Very no. bad. They lost one hundred fifty million dollars. Right. Amount. Exactly. They lost like half of that. Essentially. Yeah. Um, number two is a film that was a sequel, and while the original movie had done well, it was kind of one of those Austin Powers situations where the second movie Pitch Perfect exploded. Two? Yes. Right. One of Pitch Perfect Two. 
two movies, like Austin Powers, that outgrosses the original in its Opening first weekend. weekend yes. Uh, which has made $125 million in two weeks. Pitch Perfect 2. Yeah. And 3 did okay. I think it crossed 100. Yeah. Like, but, but nothing just like limp 2. It, right. Yeah. Um, they, yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't uh, yeah. blame them for going for 3, but it's also like, maybe this isn't a franchise. Maybe you got really lucky on the timing with the second one. Last Call Pitches? Last Call Pitches. They shouldn't release it Christmas. That's, that's my, they should have released it in like August. really dumb. It was Number always a summer franchise. 3. Yeah. Okay. Is the film. It wasn't always a summer franchise. The first one was in September. I don't know what I'm talking about. Go on. No, everybody, my name's Griffin he, Newman. He really fucked that up. I think we should start over. That was such a disaster. That's, that's, I'm also, I'm going to get a lot of heat Saying online Saying that Pitch Perfect was a summer franchise? Yeah, ben. I mean, no, you know what? Because, like, I wasn't going to call him on it. I was like, like, do you think the sponsors are going to, like, put up with this kind of shoddy also, content? It's a little hashtag problematic. <laughs> kind of is. I backlash culture is so... <laughs> rampant right now i don't want to be on do you want to apologize do you want to apologize yeah okay so i'd like to formally apologize for saying to all my pitches i'd like to apologize for saying that pitch perfect was always a summer franchise in fact all three of them have come out in different seasons the first film came out in the fall second film came out in the summer yeah and the third film uh, came out in the winter last call pitches (sighs) the third film uh, number three at the box office Mm -hmm. is uh one of the great movies of the year uh, it's called Mad Max Fury Road. That's right. My favorite film of that year, which I think ended up kind of being what people thought Tomorrowland was going to be. I think it's a somewhat surprise success uh, hurts tomorrow. 100%. Um, for sure. But also, it was that was the one where people were like, we can't get our hopes up too high for that, right? That's right. going to disappoint in some way and then exceeded all expectations. And Tomorrowland, we're like, expectations cannot be high enough. Brad Bird, land it. And he didn't. Is he going to do another Mad Max? Because there's all those like there's all this like fighting. Right? There's a, a lawsuit over profits. Yeah, He's yeah. also an old man. Mm-hmm. He said he wants to do another movie, a smaller film before he does another Mad Max, but also hasn't come anywhere close, seemingly, to picking another film. Yeah, I um, hope he does it before we I, lose him. I do think he'll do another one, but it'll be like ten years from now. Just yeah. kind of like you know, it'll take him forever. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's also that movie, as wonderful as it is, everyone involved was like. Yeah, that was the most trying experience of my life making that. That was horrifying. Yeah. Like I, I was, hate I was certain the movie was gonna it. be bad. Right. I didn't like doing it. And then I saw it and I was like, Oh, I guess that was all worth yeah. it. Like all those months of toil. Like right. in like and, and he said, the desert in like Malawi or whatever. I did a very bad job explaining myself to other people. Like I had the whole movie figured out and I couldn't figure out how to translate sure. it into words. And then you see it and you're like, Oh, great. He had it all figured out. Number four at the box office is maybe the highest grocer of 2015. Oh, well, no, though, because they were Star Wars. But Fury 7? Nope. Highest grocer 27. I guess Fury 7 is above it, too. Avengers Age of Ultron? That's right. Okay. It's about two robots debating the future of humanity. And I mean, it falls into the Tomorrowland category for me, where it's like a movie where I like all the ideas. Yeah. I, I enjoy watching Tomorrowland. Some of the Tomorrow- execution's bad. I enjoy watching Tomorrowland more. Interesting. I think I haven't seen Age of Ultron in a while. Uh, I rewatched it recently. I think it's okay. Mm, I think it's pretty good. I, I it's definitely interesting. Number five, yeah, is a remake. It's opening this weekend. By oh. the way, all these movies made a ton of money. Yeah, Tomorrowland forty two, Pitch Perfect two thirty eight in its second weekend. Wow. Mad Max Fury Road thirty one in its second weekend. Yeah, Avengers twenty eight in its fourth weekend. Yeah, and uh, this movie you're about to say it. Uh, twenty six in its opening weekend. 26 and this is a movie that doesn't exist okay I don't remember it um it probably stars an Oscar winner considering that we're recording this month later interesting sure like Uh, even though this movie I think was seen as a bit of a flop and the title starts with pop yeah 
okay, what genre? It's a remake? Horror. What? I'm sorry, what? Horror. It's a horror remake. That's right. But stars an Oscar winner. I mean, I think he's an Oscar winner when now, when this right. episode's released. Oh, 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 oh. The film is called Poltergeist. Poltergeist. The yes. remake that right. no one asked for, starring right. Sam Rockwell. Uh, and also starring the boy who plays young me on the tick. Oh, really? Playing a character named Griffin. Wow. His mom was... Could never get over that coincidence. Wow. Brought, it, brought up it up a lot. A lot. A lot. You know, he, he played uh, Griffin in Poltergeist. The, the funny thing is, <laughs> um, I loved having that conversation with her six times. Number six is a movie we swore we were going to see and never did. Oh, Hot Pursuit. Yep. Uh, you've got uh, number seven was the, the box office cessation of the year, Far From the Madding Crowd. <laughs> 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 number seven was just uh, one of those franchise films, yeah. Far From the Madding Crowd. Oh, yeah. Uh, Furious Seven. Yeah, if you up want there. to get far from the Madden crowd, avoid a theater playing that film because they were running rampant. <laughs> that crowd was <laughs> the wild. Madding crowd. Yeah, they were madding. Yeah. Another film that's very tonally similar to Far from the Madden Crowd. Uh, Paul Blart Mallcrop Two. <laughs> there is one joke in the Paul Blart Mallcrop Two trailer okay. that is so good. What is it? That I sometimes rewatch the trailer and it still makes me laugh out loud. Haven't seen the first one, won't see it. Haven't seen the second one, won't see it. Paul Blart's got his, like, legion. He's united the five. He's united the other mall cops, right? <laughs> sure. To, like, face off against, I think it's Neil McDonough is, like, the villain uh-huh. in two. Uh-huh. And he's like, well, well you're going to stop me, you alone? He's like, no, me and my army. You know, he's got his, like, mall cops behind him. Uh-huh. And he points back, and one of the mall cops is wearing a cape. Uh-huh. And he goes, like, wait a second, is that guy wearing a cape? And Paul Blart goes, why are you wearing a cape? And he goes, I was getting a haircut when you called. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, that's pretty funny. That's a good show. That's pretty funny. That's good. He was so he answered the call so yeah. quickly that he didn't take <laughs> the smock up. He ran out of the barbershop. Five million comedy points. <laughs> yeah. Fifty cape points. Oh, what else is in the top ten? Um. Oh well, we I've already closed it. We we basically said yeah, all the top. We closed the book. <laughs> yes. Uh. Yeah. That's it. Uh. Merchandise spotlight. Sure, you could buy a toy of the the um the pins certainly. Well, no, but you could. I saw an action figure for the little secret agent robot. Yeah. What's his name? Right. So I talked about before Jack something. But there's uh, the line of what they call reaction figures, which are like modern action figures that are meant to look like 70s, like Star Wars primitive action figures. Great. And they did a line of those. Here we go. <laughs> which I thought was kind of clever because it was sort of like yeah. looking backwards and looking forwards at the same time. Right. But no one bought them. I mean, no one wants an action figure of George Clooney just wearing like a decent flannel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is not like a film where people have dynamic like costumes. Or no, something. the robot looks cool. What do you think of the score? I like the score. I love it. I I think it's Giacchino going, uh, having a lot of fun. The end credits, sweet. I listen to oh, it's a great. lot. He's doing exactly what he, what Bird wants from him. Yeah, exactly. And I yeah. think he's hitting out of the park. Yeah. Uh, no, I love the score. I think the score is one of the most successful elements of the movie. I think the film's beautifully shot. Yeah, it's a great Blu-ray. I gotta say this. Um, you know, it's it, it's a movie. It's it's like uh, a bad object. Like it's one of those movies that I understand what doesn't work about it, but I find myself so drawn to it, even though I'm frustrated while watching it. Yeah, 
Okay. I wish he knocked out of the park, but I question whether it was totally possible, though I think my Griff fix is pretty smart. Yeah, no, I think your Griff fix is interesting, but I also get why they would be too afraid to do it. But it's also like, it's weird to get scared at that point. Well, this whole get premise scared. is so scary. It is. Well, that's what's crazy about this movie. Right, right. So that's our episode on Tomorrowland. I think it was a good app. I think it was too. We're recording this in February. No, but I think I was just talking with um, Ben. I know we have Incredibles 2 next week, so we'll be That's what I was going to say. Bird. That was my point. Right now we're in February. The trailer for Incredibles 2, the first one just came out. Right. And it's crazy to think that in the time you're listening to this, it's, it's we'll be gearing ready. up to see it. I may have already gone to the press screening. Ding! Your meal is done. Open the oven. Uh-huh. Here's a film. It's called Incredibles 2. Um, For sure. Um, I just also think, and I was talking with Ben about this, mm. I liked doing the Bigelow miniseries a lot. Yeah. I liked doing the um, Verhoeven miniseries a lot. Brooksy. Br- Brooks was great. But yeah. more thinking of Bigelow and Verhoeven, especially yeah. Verhoeven. You know, those are movies where we can't just be like, and that's great. Awesome. Yeah. You know, we have to think about things yeah. and tiptoe around some things yeah. and confront some things. Yeah. Redbird has a little of that, it's but it is stuff. also just like, you know, I like it with the robots big. You know. it's, n- it's nice to be loving stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's it's weird to think about. I mean, I not not to wrap stuff up because it's like, uh, you know, w- we're recording this now. Yeah, but we'll, right, we'll have one more bird up. Right. Yeah. Should we say, no, we should wait to, for that one to say what yeah. our next miniseries is? Yes. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. Cool. Okay. There'll be a palate cleanser in between. Sure. Who knows what it is? Uh, there may not be a palate cleanser in between. Maybe there should be. No. Well, the way we have it structured there, well, I guess we could do one. We have a quasi palate cleanser coming up soon, which is the Hotel Transylvania oh. episode we have inexplicably planned. Oh, blah, 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 <laughs> motherfuckers. In which I'm going to have to watch two of those yeah, and then do a third in theaters. Uh, I don't know. Griffey running wild. Half of one? Could I just maybe skip it? Nope. Maybe a Wikipedia nope. Get browse. ready to zing. Get ready to zing and you'll get that once you'll have seen the Hotel Transylvania movies, okay. blah, blah, blah. All right. Do you, should we You're gonna shoot love them? In the face? Yeah. You're going <laughs> to love them. I'm optimism. Look It'll at the screen fun. just pinged. I started talking about Hotel Transylvania. The screen just flickered. Oh, wow. The lights all turned out. 99%. Yeah, right. I'm rocking the light switch right now. Yep. <laughs> all right. We're done. Thank you all for listening. Tune in next week for The Incredibles 2. I'm so excited that we'll actually get to see The Incredibles 2. Pumped. A thing I thought might never happen. Agreed. I genuinely thought it would never happen. Got to hang out with my old pal, Violet Incredible. Right. Uh, I love her. One of my favorite uh, friends. One of my best friends. Uh, thank you for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to and for Gudo for our social media. Thanks to Lean Montgomery for our theme song. Thanks to Joe Bowen and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. Go to blankies.rat.com for some real nerdy shit. And as always, mm-hmm. last, call pitches. Cut, cut last call pitches. Last call pitches. Keep it in. Keep it in and double it. No. <laughs>